Hello, I'm Laurie Towner and you're listening to Barreled Surf Podcast. I'll tell you what, it's Namu here and I have been absolutely loving Cheeky Monkey's Surf Break series. Adzi, T-Bone, what about you two? Yeah, mate, I've been uh, ripping into a brand new double East Coast hazy IPA by the name of Rabbit Hill. And just like the sandy, dredge-spitting demon of a bank that uh, Rabbits is, mate, it packs a punch. It's, it's bloody certainly, good. It certainly does pack a punch. What about you, T-Bone? What have you been ripping in at? Oh, I like a little juicy, little right-hand slabbing, little windmills brew, mate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the old hazy mid, 3.5%. You know me, Azzy. You do love a mid-strength, don't you, mate? And the Cheeky Monkey Windmills, it's a bloody good one because it gives you that full-bodied, full-mouth experience, uh, mm. but it's by far the, their weakest beer, so you can actually have... Not weak in terms of weakness, just no. in terms of alcohol by volume. That's right, so you can have a couple at a barbie and still drive home, unlike the Rabbit Hill where you cop one over the falls into the sandbank and you're getting wheeled off in a stretch. They're the ones I like. You don't want that, so uh, keep an eye out for the Cheeky Monkey beers in your bottle shop. They are brought to you by the good folk of Cheeky Monkey, and they are bloody awesome. We're enjoying them as much as you could possibly imagine. So tell them about the podcast sent you. Yoo-hoo. Hey, hello there everybody. Uh, welcome to Barreled Surf Podcast. My name's Adzi. I am currently at Millbrook Farm Estate, which belongs to none other than absolute surfing legend from the Yelling Up area, Kevin Merrifield. How are you, Kevin? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. And uh, that word legend uh, used a bit loosely, I think. <laughs> I don't put myself in that category. Oh, we do, mate. Don't worry about that. We're all legends in our own lunchbox, don't worry. But, uh, mate, thanks for having us out here. Firstly, Kev. Um, oh, pleasure. Yeah, it's, uh, as I say, it was pretty warm in the shed. And, um, mate, this uh, place, Millbrook Farm, is, is the love of your life, uh, apart from your wife, obviously. <laughs> uh, mate, it's a beautiful um, property for those that don't know the area well. Uh, it's, you know, it's nestled in the hinterland of Yelling Up, um, just, at, just uh, you know, five-minute drive from the beach and all these waves and... It's just a beautiful rolling hills with Jarrah Forest and a couple of creek lines and dams and uh, it's also got some old historic buildings and stuff on. So yeah, we're recording uh, in his little bar which is in the middle of his room and uh, yeah, happy days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're pretty fortunate. Uh, we've owned Millbrook, Millbrook for 44 years and uh, I think we picked a pretty good spot and uh, we've uh, really enjoyed our time here. Definitely. All right, mate. So we've got a fair bit to go through today. We're going to... Uh, start at the start and and finish where we're at today and mate uh there's a fair bit in there because you've been around a while uh how old are you there kev <laughs> well if you play play with the numbers i'm 38 so <laughs> put that in reverse i'm 83 so. yeah so uh happy birthday for a couple of days ago i believe 83 years old and uh still paddling out at margaret river main break and copping a flogging this just this morning you were telling me <laughs> yeah got, got flogged a bit this morning but uh, that's nothing unusual for me <laughs> You've been getting flogged out there for uh, best part of, what, uh, 65, 70 years, something now? Well, we actually discovered um, 
the market's in 1961, I think. So yeah, it goes right. goes back that that far. That's a lot of water, that's a lot of floggings. It is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, we'll we'll get to the surfing um, a bit later on. Uh, I thought we'd start just by getting a bit of background um, to Kevin Merrifield, the young boy out of uh, Subiaco, Daglish, Nedlands area. In uh, in what year were you born there, Kev? Yeah, 38, 1938, yep. uh, born, and um, uh, I grew up in uh, Daglish, which was a relatively uh, new suburb uh, back then. Yep. So it sort of adjoins uh, Subiaco, and uh, and a pretty good spot, sort of um, average um, income area. Yep. And uh, yeah, we had pretty good times there, we were winding the clock back that far, it was pretty basic, of course. Yeah, um, yep. Yeah, you know, there's the, the outside uh, dunny, and um, yeah, no toilet paper, you you wipe your bum on uh, square bits of newspaper. Is that right? <laughs> were, were, were cut off. Yeah. And uh, you know the um, the baker used to come by horse horse and cart with the the bread, and the milkman used to come every day, and you'd leave your your milk can out there with the money, and um, the milk would be there in the next morning. So he'd so. just fill up the same container. You use the same but, container. Yeah, that's it, and beautiful creamy milk yeah. too back then. Environmentally friendly, all organic. He didn't even know what organic was back then. It just is what it is, wasn't it? Never heard of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, no TVs, no fridges. No, definitely no TV. TV didn't come till oh, about 1958, I think, so about yeah, right. 20 years later. Yep. Uh, yeah, no fridges. We had just had a um, an ice chest, and uh, the icemen used to come and deliver the ice, uh, you know, once a week. Big square blocks of ice, and yeah, um, right. and yeah, pretty basic stuff. Coolgardie safe, which you hang there and hung, hung in the kitchen, and um, that put stuff in there as well. So the people that don't know what a Coolgardie safe is, I do because I remember we had to learn it at school. But uh, I'm guessing there's a there's probably a lot of uh, people, especially under the age of uh, 25, 30, have never even heard of it. Uh, and it was sort of a w, West Australian term as well, Coolgardie being a um, sort of mining, arid mining area out in uh, Whoop Whoop, which definitely had no power. So what is a Coolgardie safe, Kev? Oh, basically, it was a, like a Hessian um, uh, thing and uh, the, the wind would sort of rush rush through that. You'd, you'd cool the Hessian with, with water. And, um, so it's like a cupboard that, instead of doors. Yeah, it had cupboard, Hessian yeah, cloth made, over made it. Up sort of a Hessian uh, cloth and yep. uh, you'd put water over that and the wind would sort of blow through it and uh, cool the... The goodies uh, inside. Yeah, classic. And um, yeah, so you used to get your milk delivered, your ice blocks delivered, your, your bread delivered maybe? or uh, The bread, as I mentioned earlier, the bread used to come by horse and cart. Yep. Um, for, I don't know, once a week or twice a week or whenever it was. Yeah, ripper. And in fact, the um, the, the woman who lived next door who was a spinster, her name was uh, Daglish, and the the area Daglish was named after her, uh, her father, actually. Yeah, right. And uh, she used to use a spinster, and she used to follow the horse and cart with a with a bucket, and uh, use uh, the the poo for uh, for her roses. Yeah, right. Fair <laughs> enough. Boom and roses. Yeah, and it, um, yeah. for those that don't know, I mean, Daglish now is a very well-to-do suburb in Perth, isn't it? One of the probably more expensive uh, pieces of real estate in yeah, West Australia. As I said, it's sort of bounded by uh, Subiaco, Shenton Park, so it's a real inner. Uh, suburban area pretty close to the city and uh, yeah pretty fancy prices uh, nowadays uh, yeah a lot different to back then yep and um but it's still relatively close to the beach wasn't it it wasn't uh <coughs> yeah not, not too bad i used to uh, ride my push bike um to uh, city beach and yep. um i was like most kids i was pretty keen on, on on the ocean yep and there was no virtually no um, proper road from well basically wembley through to the city beach there was the old what they called switchback 
and that switchback road was made out of old um, uh, sleepers, railway sleepers, right. and, that, and they literally laid that over the top of sand dunes. So you went up and over the sand dunes really? on the the switchback Jeez, would... with your push bike. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that took a bit of doing, of course, and yeah. um, it's probably probably half an hour ride. Yeah, right. Douglas to, to City Beach. Oh, classic. And uh, back then, of course, there was no um, no Florida Beach. It was uh, called North City uh, back then. Okay, North City Beach, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, good times. And uh, that's, I guess, where my love of the, the ocean started. And um, I used to sort of body surf there with, with sort of arms uh, by your side and yeah. in, in the white water and progressed a little bit from there and stuck the hand out and sort of went across the face of the wave and uh, I guess that's where I fell in love with uh, surfing initially. Oh, that's unreal. And, um, mate, we're, as mentioned, we, we are going to rip right into the surfing at some stage. It'll probably uh, make mentions uh, throughout, but we will get deep into that. Um, but we are going to start with sort of just your school and, uh, mate, you were uh, a very good football player. You probably won't admit it but because uh, you're a, a modest bloke, but you were... You were a great footy player. Uh, you had the nickname Legs for a reason, apparently. he, uh, This man could run and kick uh, pretty well. So, mates, um, did football start in early school years or what, what yeah, was happening in the school uh, years? Back then, there was no sort of, uh, you know, really underage uh, football. Um, so, uh, football really started at uh, Subiaco. I went to Subiaco um, Primary School. And I used to walk there every, every day. And that was like about probably a half an hour walk <laughs> from Douglas to, to school. And uh, on the on the way back, I used to stop at the uh, the general store, and in fact, that same general store, he used to deliver groceries to our house. Mister Mac was his name. Oh yeah. And um, his wife wasn't Mrs. Mac making those pies by any <laughs> chance, was she? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I can't think of his proper name, but it was uh, we used to call him Mister um, Mac. And yeah, he, uh, my old man, used to deliver, used to order groceries, and um, he used to deliver groceries to our house in Douglas uh, by by push bike. Yeah, right. So did you stop every now and then on the way so home and get a stop, lift? I used to stop there on the way home from uh, from school and have a bit of a chat with uh, with Mr. Mac, and he used to get out uh, out out the cheese and cut off a bit of a bit of cheese for us, and uh, I'd eat that and have a chat. But uh, oh, but yeah, going back to to Subiaco Primary School, it was, it was a really good school, and uh, that's really where I started uh, my my footy. Yep. And uh, we we used to call it an oval, but in fact we we used to actually call it the Blackie because uh, there's very little grass it was just black sand basically <laughs> so that's where we used to kick the footy around and um, of course we used to uh, play uh, other schools and um, fortunately uh, Suvi were, were pretty good and we used to, to just to win most of our matches so that's yeah, where right. it really started and uh, under underage football didn't really start until you're about 14 or something like that yeah like there then. was uh, no weekend organized competitions and Oz kicks and mums ferrying around Bloody washing footy jumpers uh, for all the little kids back then, was there? Yeah, no, there wasn't. I think I think there might have even been under 16 at first and then um, progressed from there to sort of under-18s and from there um, to Subi Footy Club. So before we get to Subi Footy Club, mate, um, uh, it was obviously evident to the people at Subiaco Primary that uh, a young Kevin Merrifield was uh, quite a talented little bugger. And uh, you uh, were made the made the team a sort of a couple of years earlier than the other kids. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Uh, pretty well. The, the team was made up of uh, year twelve uh, students. Is that right? No, year six. 
year six. I don't know, six. Yeah, I think it was primary school. Well, yeah, primary uh, school. So yeah. the, the last year in primary school, whatever that was, year yeah. six, I think. Six or seven, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so most of the kids, or just about all the kids in the team, were you know in year six, and I was in year four. four so, <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, I actually played as a rover at the, that school team, and the ruckman was a fellow by the name of Keith Dean, who subsequent years I played league football uh, with the Subiaco. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, mate, and I believe that once you got into year six, you became the captain of the football team. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I became but captain of the footy team at Subi and um, used, to have, uh, used to have great times uh, picking the team with the, with, the, with the school teacher, sports master or whatever he was. Yep, yep. And, uh, mate, you lost the captaincy. Is that right? I, just for the listeners out there, uh, I, I did read a book that Kevin wrote uh, just for his family, but I managed to sneak a copy off his son brett so thanks for that brett and uh so i've got a bit of insight into some of kev's stories and uh you mentioned something about losing the captaincy there kev what was that all about no actually i did, didn't lose the captaincy of the footy team but i uh, i was also a prefect okay and i lost that because uh, i was pretty good at um going up to the headmaster and uh, copying uh, six of the best on the, on the hands. <laughs> so and, uh, uh, I was a little bit uh, mischievous, I guess, <laughs> when I was so, young. Funny tale, really. Yeah, um, this is, I'm, I'm pushing, you know the tale okay, I'm pushing for go, you. Give go, it to go, me, go. Kev, come on. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, just one, one lunchtime, was there, there was a little shelter and the kid was sitting inside eating his lunch and uh, I saw a hole there and I thought, well, I'll have a piece. <laughs> I'll pee and it just so happened that it landed on his lunch. So, <laughs> so the, the rotten little bugger pimped on me. <laughs> so off to the headmaster, I went again. Yeah, so, so he didn't intentionally pee on his lunch? It was no, a, I didn't. I it saw a hole just, there. I'll just... pee through that. Oh, okay. Bit oh, of a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic. And, mates... Uh, uh, just on the P stories, uh, I believe uh, the train rides uh, there was mention of, uh, seems like, the, you know, there was no mobile phones back then. There was obviously entertainment was uh, something you had to whip up yourself and uh, uh, the train rides were a bit boring for you and your mates uh, when you were young tackers. What did you used to, how did you used to get well, past that, the time? That, that was after Subiaco Primary. I went to Perth Boys uh, High School. And uh, we used to catch a train, Daglish, into uh, Perth uh, Central. And uh, as you say, it was pretty boring. So <laughs> we used to unscrew the the light and pee in that and screw it back on. And <laughs> there'd be urine, urine swishing back and forth the whole trip. <laughs> and so sometimes we, on the way back, we'd uh, we'd grab one of the one of the guys and rip his rip his Dax off him, I and mean, he'd, he'd finish up walking home in his, his underpants, <laughs> if, he, if he was lucky enough to have underpants. <laughs> uh, they were different times, that's for sure, where uh, I'm sure all that stuff just got looked on back then as uh, just, uh, you know, boys will be boys, having a bit of uh, innocent fun, and, geez, you imagine the trouble you'd get in these days for that sort of shenanigans. It'd be ridiculous. Uh, actually, there's another, uh, another little story which... We, because um, on the train, as you're pulling into Perth Central before that, Actually, uh, went past Rose Street, and back then the Rose Street brothels was a pretty popular place. Right. So we used to hang out the windows, waving to the the ladies of the night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Probably didn't even know what they were for, did you? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> uh, that's classic. And mate, also on those sort of um, just to paint a picture of the of the era, um, you mentioned the old uh, was it Regal Theatre, which is a famous old movie cinema in Subiaco. Yeah, well, in fact, it's still there. The Regal Theatre is still there, and they they have all sorts of entertainment uh, there nowadays. But uh, back then, it was uh, 
but mainly a, a picture theatre, and that's on the corner of uh, Bagot Road and um, Hay Street. So it's, it's still there. Still there, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, in your story, uh, in your book, there that I was mentioning that they used to have a separate section for mothers and their crying babies, which was fenced off with soundproof glass or something like that. Is that right? Uh, yeah, they did. Because, that'd be yeah. handy these days. I? I could use one of them in my living room, I reckon, actually. <laughs> it would be handy, but uh, yeah, that, that was a thing. You know, crying babies would be taken up to the, the crying room and uh, I was apparently making a bit of a nuisance myself there, talking out loud or doing something <laughs> naughty and... Uh, the manager came and grabbed me by the ears and took me up and put me in the crying room, <laughs> which was uh, a little bit embarrassing when I was probably about 12 years of age or something. <laughs> in, front of all the bo- in front of all your mates. Oh, that's classic. Um, all right, mate, so you were in Daglish there and, and doing Subiaco and, the, and the, you're a budding young footy player. Um, where did you, you, you finish school at uh, about 15? You decided to get a job and you weren't, uh, weren't doing too well at school or something like that and no, you decided I, to go get a job or is that what <clears> happened? Or? I wasn't the, uh, the greatest uh, scholar going around so I only made it the second year at uh, Perth Boys High School and uh, it was a great school and uh, good, good times there. But they had classes, uh, you know, starting at like uh, the the top, you know, A, going down A, B, C, D, you know, went down about F, I think. Yep. So uh, I I didn't get down quite as low as F, but I was in E, which is the yeah. second lowest class. And because uh, I, I wasn't a great uh, scholar and uh, probably because I, uh, I wasn't very keen on homework and uh, really never did any homework. <laughs> Too busy playing so footy the, and riding yeah, down the beach. Right. And... So um, one... one, uh, one one day, and I was in my second year at uh, high school, and uh, probably the first time ever I was doing a little bit of homework, and because um, the exams were coming up, and uh, one of my mates, who was a couple of years older than me, uh, came over and uh, tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, "Why don't you get a job? I can get you a job." <laughs> I said, "Oh yeah, doing what?" And he was a an apprentice metal worker at Arcus Refrigeration. Oh yeah. He said, "I can get you a job there." And I said, oh, yeah, "Okay, that sounds good." So the next day I went and met the the two owners, uh, Colin and Don Arcus from Arcus Refrigeration, and uh, they gave me a job as an apprentice uh, refrigeration mechanic. Yeah, cool. So uh, that night I went home, the, the old man came home from work, and I told him I got a job, and <laughs> he wasn't very impressed. <laughs> what were you, like 14, 15, something like 14, that? 14, I was 14, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dad, so, I've quit school, got a job. <laughs> that's, that's it. It was pretty standard back then to do that sort of stuff, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And yeah. uh, so I did a five-year apprenticeship, which I really didn't didn't like from, from day one, and uh, stuck at it, I think, for 12 months or so after I finished my apprenticeship and did a few things, and uh, then moved on to... Better, better things. Yeah, and uh, mate, I'm sure back in that era, uh, apprentice abuse was probably alive and well, was it? It was indeed. <laughs> you know, like uh, for, for the first twelve months, I think I did, I did. My main job was sweeping the bloody factory floor. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't very impressive. No. And uh, lunch times, yeah, of course, you were the lunch boys. So you had to go around, take all the orders, and go up uh, Bagot Road and. Uh, order the lunch and just bring them back. So you, you didn't do much about learning your trade for the first 12 months or two, so. Didn't get duct taped to any poles or stuffed in bins or anything like that? Oh, yeah, well, you know, sent to the paint shop to get a, get a can of black and white paint, you know, <laughs> <laughs> those sort of things. Yeah, a few of the standard ones. Yeah. Uh, classic. And uh, how did you used to get to work, mate, back in those days? Well, believe it or not, I, um, I had a little uh, motorbike, which... Uh, it used to belong to my brother, my brother Lynn, who's four years older than me. Yep. But he had this uh, little um, 
uh, hot uh, Royal Enfield, yeah, 125cc, nice. and it was hotted up because the guy he bought it from actually used to road race it. Okay. And it had a, actually had a stick shift on it. Really? <laughs> Change gears, a stick shift. So anyhow, I bought this little uh, thing off my, my brother and uh, I used to ride at the school through the bush because, um, you know, I was only, well, I mean, 15 when I got the motorbike, so two years before my, my licence. <laughs> so rather than riding the roads, I used to ride through the bloody bush to, to, to get to work. Yeah, so no licence, probably no helmet. I'm guessing. Oh, definitely no helmet, no. <laughs> no so gloves, no, no leather jackets. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have shoes on at least? <laughs> yeah, I probably had shoes. I had oh, work, work, work boots on. Oh, there you go. That's something then, isn't it? Uh, classic. And, mate, speaking of um, unlicensed uh, driving, apparently um, you know how to drive semi-trailers as well. Uh, yeah, I did, did at one stage and uh, <laughs> that, that came a little bit later. But um, just another story on, on, on the motorbikes. The, the, the guy who... Um, Got me the job at Marcus Refrigeration. His name was was Barry. Yep. And uh, anyhow, he, he came up to me one day and he said, "Oh, look, I've, I'm 17 now. I've got to go and get my license, motorbike license." I oh, said, yeah. "Okay." And he wasn't wasn't very capable. Right. So I said, "No worries. I'll put you on the back of of his bike." Yeah. So I rode his bike into the cop shop in James Street, uh, East Perth, and yep. Top the cop took him around the block a couple of times and came back and. He said to me, uh, he said, look, your mate's not too bloody good, but uh, I'll give him his licence, but uh, you better you know, ride home. Yeah, no worries. So <laughs> I jumped on and uh, he said, Barry on the back and uh, we, well, we went uh, back home. Classic. I, I was 15, I think. So, so you're 15, <laughs> unlicensed. Unlicensed. Uh, this, this, <laughs> his cop's just given some guy his actual licence, but informed that it might be better if you drive him home because obviously it. he didn't know uh, your credentials at the time. Yeah, so a simpler time sounds pretty funny. And, um, mate, uh, tell us the, the semi-trailer story. Um, what happened there? <clears throat> well, that, that came a bit, late, bit later um, <clears throat> when I, um, after, after I left uh, refrigeration, I, I got a job with a debt collecting firm, Morgan and Scott, I think their name, their name was. And, uh, right, debt collecting. So were you, were you pretty well built by then, were you? You were, uh, you were a bit of a tank? Uh, not, not, not really. No? Nah. <laughs> not really. Um, I, probably, I probably would have been, uh, let me think, I would have been probably 19, 20. Yeah, I finished my apprenticeship when I was 19, so I would have been about 20 or thereabouts. Yep. I guess I was reasonably built then because I was playing league, league footy. Yep. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so I got a job, and my job was to actually go around to businesses um, signing them up for this firm to, to do their, do their debt, collect, debt collecting, etc. Yep. So, anyhow, uh, also it included doing a little bit of repossessing, like going around and, and repossessing, repossessing, repossessing fridges and you know, stuff like that. Yep. So the boss came up to me one day and he said, oh, look, um, yeah, <clears throat> I want you to um, repossess this, this truck. I said, oh, yeah, semi-trailer. So anyhow, um, I went, went out to this place and uh, sure enough, it was, uh, it was oh, oh, that's right, before he, before I went, he said, look, this guy's a renowned bikey, I think, and um, <laughs> you know, he's pretty, pretty tough, so you better be careful. You better take a cop with you. <laughs> right. I said, oh, yeah. So anyhow, I, uh, I went up and uh, saw this guy and I said, yeah, here's, a, here's a paper, I'm repositioning your, your truck. And he sort of looked at me, a uh, big bloody, <laughs> big bikey. And he said, oh, bloody hell you are. So, oh, shit, where do we go here? And the cop was standing there, you know, just about shitting himself. So uh, I jumped in the cab and um, 
turn the, the ignition on and away I went. <laughs> Drove the semi-trailer across the causeway to <laughs> right the reposition yard in, in East Perth. And, um, and you'd never driven a truck before? Never driven a truck before, <laughs> let, let alone have a licence for a semi-trailer. <laughs> so there I was driving this bloody big semi-trailer across the causeway. Mates, when you were living in Daglish, um, when did you move to Mullaloo? I noticed that your your old boy had uh, some sort of like caravan park or something yeah, up in Mullaloo. Yeah, was that right? My father, uh, Frank, Dolph was, Dolph was his Christian name. Uh, yeah, he, he was um, General Secretary of the Railways Institute. So I guess you could say that was so, you know, a little bit like a union. He was sort of in charge of all the welfare of all the railway workers in WA. So it was a pretty, pretty good job. Yep. And uh, so anyhow... He, he bought some land out at Mullaloo off, off someone who established a, like a little holiday resort and it was basically made up of about, I think for memory, 10 or 15, whatever the number was, of cabins. And the cabins were like about the size of a caravan, similar shape, shape to a caravan, etc. Yep. And uh, yeah, so um, I actually ran that for um, oh, a couple of years and uh, that was interesting times too. Yeah, and for those that don't know, Mullaloo is... Uh you know, it's uh, these days. It's it's probably you know twenty thirty k's north of the CBD in Perth. Um, you know, which back then it was uh, probably regarded as a pretty long way. It would have been on the outer fringes of Perth, uh, whereas now it's a relatively uh, inner city suburb. Not quite inner city, but uh, you know, the suburbia spreads a lot, <coughs> lot further than uh, it did back then. And Mullaloo back then would have been a, a little seaside town almost in a way. Is that right? Yeah, very much so. It was, a, it was basically like a little fishing uh, place. Uh, and there was no road from Wanneroo Road to Mullaloo. All there was was a, a dirt, dirt track. Yeah, right. So I used to drive a truck and I used to, I, I, my main mode of, of transport back then was an AJS motorbike. Yep. So I used to ride this bloody motorbike on, from on the from Wanneroo Road to Mullaloo on the, the sand track, and uh, sure enough, you you go ass over <laughs> nine <laughs> times out of ten if a car coming the other way and uh, in the loose sand, you'd go ass over, ass over. But um, yeah, we great times out there, and we had a really good little setup there with these cabins, and um, used to have a little shop. I used to run the shop, and I had a little outdoor picture theatre and I used to, oh, yeah. used to run that and yeah, so right. yeah it was good. How old were you then roughly? I would have been probably I don't know 21 something like that. And did you get down the beach much when you're up there? Yeah I did actually um, in fact it was 1959 because I can recall um, uh, yeah sorry <laughs> nine, right. 1959 and um, yes yeah, so I would, would have been uh, tw- 21 and uh, at that stage, I was sort of pretty full on in, in, in football. Yep. And I, I do recall I, I, I did a fair bit with my fitness back then. I used to sort of run on the beach at um, Mullaloo and uh, swim in there. Didn't really do any surfing there because uh, I didn't think there was, there was any place surf there, to be honest. <laughs> so it was still crap. I had a little rowboat and, uh, and a mate of mine used to take that out and we used to catch waves on this, on this rowboat. <laughs> Half the time coming in sideways. But <laughs> <laughs> so it was just close out shore dumpers even back then. Yeah, that's yeah, about it, yeah. Because that's still pretty much how Mullaloo is. But yeah. you hear the same same stories about Scarborough and, and stuff. And, then, you know, a lot of the old guys say the banks were better back in the day. But it uh, sounds like Mullaloo was uh, closing out since yeah, it was, dawn of time. Uh, yeah, no question about that. I'm sure Triggs was an awful lot better back then than it is now yep yep so um yeah maybe a bit of body surfing or something at Malaloo. that was yep, about it yeah that was about it yeah yeah no worries and uh mates um 
on back on the driving thing, uh, I, I noticed in your book you you crashed the truck there or, or something on your in in the holiday park. What, what happened there? Yeah, we had we had this old Bedford truck, and they used to use that for for the rubbish. And they used to go, I used to drive it into Perth sort of twice a week to get ice and um, and groceries. And uh, with the the rubbish, I used to drive this this truck, this old Bedford uh, truck. And I used to sort of put it in first gear and sort of line it up. And um, as the truck was going long, I'd jump out and uh, grab a rubbish bin, put it on the on the back of the truck, give the steering wheel a bit of a bit of a nudge, you know, in the right yeah. right direction. And uh, one day I was doing this, and I picked up the rubbish bin, and sure enough, there's about a six foot dugout uh, <laughs> snake uh, curled underneath the bin. So I, I, I literally just froze on the spot for. A, you know, three or four seconds, and that was enough time for the truck to go chunk, 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 straight into one of the cabins. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> took, took, out, took out a whole wall. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, um, mate, yeah. When you see it, when, when you, it's okay seeing a snake when you sort of see it from a distance and that, it's all good, but when you bloody move something or it appears right under you, it bloody it, well, you know, definitely... The, and keep in mind, for people that know, a Jew guy could definitely kill you. There's no, there's no. Yeah, they, they can, but uh, after after a while, you got that used to them. You, know, you just bend over and go whack, and uh, that was <laughs> the end of the snake. <laughs> well, here we are in the shed quarters. Adzi, how are you, mate? I'm very good. Friday afternoon and styling. Just Happy knocked off work. Friday, mate. So, um, guess what we've got on board today at Barrel Surf Podcast? I don't know what's happening. Well, you tell me, mate. Okay. Well, uh, weather's been a bit cold and rainy lately. Uh, you know, winter's been dragging in a spring and. What do you like to do uh, in the depths of winter with your feet in front of a fire, Namu? I like to make love in front of the fire and uh, also... <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> ...drink a glass of red wine. Ah, well, yeah, so I'm not keen to join you for the love making, but I will join you for a glass of red. And, mate, uh, yeah, I'm excited to say that we've got a new partner on board, uh, a local family-run winery by the name of Forrester, just around the Forrester corner here Estate. in the Yelling Up Hills. Uh, mate, they are making some absolutely quality and premium wines. Uh, it's their 20th anniversary this year. Congratulations, Forrester. Yeah, mate. And they've brought in a few bottles for us to sip on. And, uh, mate, they go pretty bloody good. Mate, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I used to actually make wine for a living. Yeah, do you? Not anymore, no. but I used to. And, <laughs> I drink uh, it for a living. Does that count for anything? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Now, Forrester's a good drop, and uh, they do good things around the community. And... Uh, Thanks for coming on board, Forrester. Yeah, mate, looking forward to uh, a few more glasses of wine. And, uh, yeah, they've got a bit of family heritage in the area. Apparently their grandpa used to have a, a property across the road and he used to whip up what's known as Yelling Up Moonshine. So Yelling maybe we'll get a taste of that down the track. But Hopefully. if you're going to reach for a bottle in your local bottle shops, mate, support the winery that supports our podcast and reach for a bottle of Forrester Vina. I'm telling Barrel Turf Podcast sent you. you. How did it all start, the surfing for you, mate? I'm assuming there was no peers and no boards. So it's not like where you're, not like you had someone to look up to and that. So how did it go down? Yeah, well, actually, it started off down down here. As I mentioned earlier, I you know, used to go to City Beach as a kid and body surf and all that sort of stuff. But I really, to this day, still can't remember who or or how it came about that uh, you know, yelling up was the spot to go to and. Um, so at age 17, um, I'd just got my driver's license and um, I took off on my little uh, Renault um, bug or whatever it was at the time with my uh, cousin and best mate, uh, Ray Spider Evans. And while we went, it took us about bloody five hours to, to get down to Yelling Up. Yeah. 
drove over the hill and uh, saw the line up and uh, yeah, I was just about popping out of their heads and uh, and uh, for, you know, based on purse standards, it looked pretty bloody big. And uh, yep. of course, it's probably more like about five or six foot in today's standards. But yeah, back, yeah. back then, you know, comparing it with Perth, it was bloody huge. So, so anyhow, we uh, we managed to. Um, that was our first weekend, and that was uh, January long weekend, uh, nineteen fifty-five. Yep. And I was seventeen at the time, just got my driver's license. So um, yeah, back then um, the the only board I had was uh, we used to call it a chessboard. Right. And a chessboard was like about four foot long, about eighteen inches, eighteen inches wide, and uh, curled up at the nose, sort of ply, uh, marine plywood. Yeah, uh, pair of flippers, and uh, way again, I guess uh, the equivalent of boogie board today, you know. Yeah, and the uh, and back then the original crew, and uh, there was only like about a dozen of us in the, the whole of Western Australia. Right, and uh, most of those guys were ex uh, clubbies, ex surf life saving, um, yeah, you know, club members, sick and tired of all the uh, regis- regimented that, bloody, yeah, yeah, marching up and down the sand and all that. Yeah, that's right, having to be on duty and all that sort of stuff. So. Uh, so they, they started coming down here and um, so if you saw a car driving down the street with a board on the top, you certainly knew who it was because yeah. there's only about a dozen whole WA. So yelling up is really where surfing began in, in WA. When I say surfing, you know, true true surfing. True standing up. Um, so up until that stage in City Beach and stuff, you'd only body surf yeah. and ridden your chessboard. A couple of times, no one was getting around standing up on any sort of equipment. No, well, of course, the the, the clubbies and uh, quite a few of the guys, the original guys, were from City Beach, um, you know, Surf Life Saving Club, and uh, Citarola Regimentation. And uh, of course, they, they started off, you, you know, with their sixteen foot paddle boards paddling on the you know, white water wave in City Beach and that sort of stuff. Yep. So those are sort of the first boards that came down here, the old 16-foot toothpicks. Right, yeah. And uh, they were ho- hollow, hollow Yeah, they fly. look like a canoe almost, don't they? Yeah, almost, yeah. So that that's really uh, yeah where, where it started and um, yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. And um, so we used to sort of come down uh, regularly uh, week- weekends and yep. primarily summer, you know, winter time, it didn't come down all that much and uh, Even playing though. footy anyhow. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so it was mainly summertime and, uh, yeah, so we, we had great times. Pro- probably the best times of my life, I think, the, the original um, surfing yep. uh, days down here. And, um, sure. you know, the, the camaraderie be- between the guys, you know, we, we used to take the piss out of each other all the time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we had great, great times. Unreal. And so what it was just, you can't even remember where to somehow someone found a wave in yelling up and said oh maybe we should go down there and have a look yeah there's got quite a few theories uh one theory is uh, a guy by the name don morrison who's a champion uh beltman for um cottesloe won many many australian titles and uh, you know surf life-saving yep and uh, one one uh, theory is that uh, he coming back from one carnival in, in the eastern states sort of drove back and saw these waves at yelling up and went out and body surf that that's one theory and uh, right Another theory is a couple of my mates, uh, Bill Prattley and um, uh, Bernie Huddle, and um, one other who escapes me at the moment. Escapes me at the moment. Um, yeah, they they came down in 1953, Easter 1953, and they claimed they were the very first ones to ever surf here. Yeah, right. So, and um, and back then, I mean, uh, we had Caves House uh, in the 20s, and that was a, a popular tourist honeymooning spot. So. 
there was probably a gravel track going down to the beach being not far from there and I guess that was probably one of the most accessible parts of the coastline back then. Yeah, it certainly was and uh, yeah, Kay's House was a very popular uh, tourist uh, destination or yelling it was a popular tourist destination primarily because of the caves and uh, that was the reason Caves House Hotel was built in the first place to accommodate tourists uh, you know, coming down here. Check out all the and, underground uh, and, and limestone. As I said, uh, primarily the uh, became a very, very popular honeymoon uh, uh, destination and uh, they were the, the ones that used to really come down here. Yeah, right, checking out all the um, underground limestone caves that the yep. area is known for. Yeah, mm-hmm. great tourist attraction. And Yeah, right, so you came down in uh, 55, um, Australia Day weekend, uh, long weekend. Mate, tell us about, I mean, anyone who knows yelling up and, and most of us who live here never get sick of that feeling of driving down that winding hill and seeing yelling up uh, laid out before you and looking up towards Cape Naturalist. Mate, tell me about that very first <laughs> car drive coming yeah. around that hill on a gravel uh, track and just seeing well, that. It was, I mean, a, just a, it was a gravel road back then, of course, and uh, yeah, coming down that hill, as I mentioned, uh, yeah, we saw the, saw the line up and uh, our eyes popping out of our heads and uh, shit, you know, yeah, <laughs> have a look at this. And uh, that was our sort of introduction and... Um, for for me, we used to sort of say come down regularly uh, we weekends and um, and home was basically um, where the grassed area is at uh, yelling up um, beach overlooking the the, the breaks now but that was just all natural bush uh, melaleuca trees and uh, back then we all had uh, navy uh, hammocks so we used to pitch a hammock between the trees and uh, the old campfire and uh, of course uh, that was home. Yep, nothing like a campfire in the bush in the middle of summer, no fire restrictions back then. <laughs> yeah, no fire restrictions. <laughs> and believe it or not, no fires either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And mate, did you surf that very first day that you seen it? Did you just see it and just froth and go yeah, straight we, we out did. there? Or we what? did. And, yeah, we uh, you know, did. asked a couple of guys that had been there before us and they're like, where, where do we go out? And so we were told you know, that we were to walk out in the reef and uh, wherever we went. So yeah. It was from, from from then on. Were you trying to ride the right-handers right from day one or was it primarily no, the it left? Was, it was mainly left-handers back then. Yep. Yeah, big, fat left-handers. But, yeah, that's but right. But as you know, when it gets up in size, you know, some of those lefts uh, aren't too bad. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, uh, the left obviously breaks out into a big deep water channel and is a lot more manageable, whereas the right um, closes out a lot. And if you're on a big board and uh, no leg ropes and no this and that... Uh, Obviously, going right would have been pretty perilous. And um, mate, where did you paddle out the first time? Did you paddle out like through the left, or did you paddle out like through the guts, through the no, right? No, we paddle out basically where we paddle out now. You know, Do you? from the left. Yeah, yeah right. <coughs> right at the so right, right at the start there, you just went straight through the middle and paddled out there. Because yeah. I mean, duck diving would have been pretty treacherous back then. <laughs> no such thing as duck diving back yeah. then. And of course, there was no such thing as leg ropes and no such thing as, uh, as uh, wetsuits. So, uh, yeah. basically, the gear we uh, wore was a pair of uh, footy shorts and a woolen jumper, footy jumper, most of the time. Yep. Which was interesting. You know, when you wiped out, the bloody jumper would go over your head and you'd spend, <laughs> spend you know, untold time under the water trying to free the jumper out, uh, over your head, you know, so you can breathe again. Yep. 
And of course, uh, with no leg rope, you spend half your surfing session swimming after your board out in the middle of the bay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, out in the bay there because they get bloody washed down the reef and then yep. sucked out the back of the rip, out the back of rabbits there. And uh, many a board's been lost out there uh, in the big swell. So yep, mine included. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's epic, mate. And um, so uh, tell us about getting into the hammocks there. Uh, you were sleeping in the hammocks under the... Um, under the Malalukas there, uh, apparently um, it could be a bit treacherous at night time sometimes getting in there. Yeah, of course, after surfing, you'd go up to Kay's house and get a belly full of uh, piss, you know, and uh, come back. So you'd climb into your hammock and nine times out of ten, someone would bloody uh, up engine. you go <laughs> flat on your face on, on, the, on the sand, on <laughs> the dirt, you know, but uh, it was all part and parcel of it. Yeah, wicked. And, mate, what is a bear suit? <laughs> Well, as I said, we uh, the hammocks were ex uh, Royal Australian Navy um, hammocks. The, the bear suits, believe it or not, were the were the uh, the suits of the the pilots used to wear in World War Two. Really? Because back there, back then, you know, sitting in the cockpit, you're bloody freezing, you know, five thousand feet up or whatever it was. Yeah. So they basically, um, well, basically. Basically, like uh, you know, fur of a bear, and uh, so they were actual bear suits. Yeah, real bear suits. And so wow. yeah, they used to really, really keep you warm. So um, uh, you know, quite a few of us had had those, and they were great. So you're hanging out in the uh, doing the early morning surf check, just standing around in the in the bear suits. Um, Cooking? Did they have baked beans in in the tin back then around the fire, or what? We what we yeah, what was well, the morning the, grub? You know the uh, the tucker we used to bring down used to be comprised primarily of a tin of baked beans and a tin of spaghetti, and that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you you campfire, you heat those up at night, and that was it. After yeah. a few years, uh, jaffle jaffles became pretty popular, and uh, one of my mates, my surfing mates, uh, Terry uh, Horse Williams, who also played footy for CV with with me. Um, He's a pretty uh, big, big boy, and uh, he used to knock a half half a dozen jaffles down. Uh, no, no trouble at all. <laughs> oh yeah, they're deadly jaffles. You don't want to bite into those things too early, do you? You'd be uh, they're, they're uh, well known for searing tongues with the uh, hot baked bean explosion coming out, mate. Um, tell us about your first board. I mean, you had the the chess board. <clears throat> when did you get your first stand up board, chess, and what was I it? I rode the chess board for oh, I don't know, maybe eighteen months, two years, or whatever. Yep. And uh, then, um, you know, the, the only boards being made basically then were from out of Sydney. And uh, one of the um, well-known and recognised um, boards were Gordon and Woods. So I ordered a Gordon Woods board, Balsa, just beautiful boards, Balsa board. I think it was about nine foot, yep. a bit over nine foot. And um, yeah, so got that over from Sydney. I think it cost about 20 pounds, the equivalent of about $40 now. Right. So, uh, yeah, my turn to sort of uh, have a go on my, my first uh, real board. And uh, one of my old survey mates, Tony Harbison, who's a legend uh, down here, and um, Harbo was a much better surfer than me. He said, well, legs, let me let me have a go on it. I'll tell you if it's any good. So, yeah, right. okay, Harbo. Before you've even surfed it. Before I'd even surfed it. So okay. Harbo goes out there and, sure enough, snapped the bloody thing, <laughs> came in with the two R's and said, legs, uh, this board's no bloody good. <laughs> oh, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much, Harvey. Oh, mate. So what did you do? Did you back to the chessboard for that session? Or? Well, you know, today you'd expect him to buy me another one, but of course he didn't. So, no, no. <laughs> so I finished up boarding another one and uh, another one came over, I think, about, about a month later. Oh, that's rough, mate. Yeah. 
Um, so you're surfing around yelling up, you're sleeping under the Malalukas. How long did it take you before you started to think, wonder what else is around here, around the corner? Yeah, interesting. I reckon probably probably a couple of years we surfed yelling up only for a couple of years. Then we started um, started exploring and um, a lot of it came from fishermen, you know. Uh, fishermen tracks in the lead in different spots and, and of course all the locals thought we were crazy. Yeah. You know, they all reckon we were bloody mad going out in these wild seas and shark infested waters, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Did you see lots of sharks around back then or...? No, well, you know, the fishermen used to talk about them, but we, we never thought about them and, and very, yep. very rarely ever saw one, you know. Yep. And um, so, yeah, we started exploring. I think the uh, one of the first places we went to from here was um, what we used to call uh, Engine Up Bay back yep. then, which is now, of course, Engine Up uh, Car Park. So that was yep. one of the early ones. And how did you do it? Did you just have a map or how no, did it work? No, well, fishermen. Fishermen had a track leading there and... Um, they told us about this track, so... Um, and was Caves Road gravel? Yeah, it was just a dirt track, basically, yep. basically from, from Caves Road. And um, and, Ca- and even Caves Road was a dirt track too? No, no, Caves Road was sealed, yeah. Was it? Okay. Yep. So you, you go down this track and, of course, there were no four-wheel drive uh, vehicles back then and um, it was mainly uh, old uh, Holdens and um, the ones that fared the best were the old VW uh, Beetle with yep. the motor in the back and uh, a bit of weight on the back wheels but uh, nine times out of ten you, you'd get bogged yeah so you had, had to have a few mates to push you out of the bog yeah and uh, quite often you'd knock out a muffler or spike a bloody tire or something so uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty interesting getting get to to engine up but uh, yeah, right. you know, we surfed there for a while and then i think um south point was one of the early ones because um yeah, when I was on shore at, uh, at Yells, we used to sort of go down to South Point and surf there. Yeah, which is in Gracetown. That would have been pretty popular with fishermen, I guess, was yeah, it? it was. Were yeah, they launching boats there even back then? They in Gra- were they launching boats in Gracetown back then? Or? Uh, yeah, there was a lot of fishermen taking boats out. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we surfed uh, South Point for a few years. And uh, as I said, mainly because it was on shore at Yelling Up. So down there, South Point, you were sort of offshore. But... Um, Took us a couple of years before we realised it was a pretty good break over the, <laughs> the other side, uh, being North Point. So yeah, that's right. Which number is... of years before we actually got to North Point. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, which is... Gallows was another pretty early one. Oh yeah, yeah. That would that mate Gallows is a uh, is still a long four wheel drive track to get there now. It must have been yep. pretty bloody hard to find it back in the day. How did you well, find that we, one? We actually used to walk there. Right. We used to walk, walk through uh, Cullen's Cullen Winery, the Cullen family. Uh, their property used to walk through their property to, to get to Gallows. And and how, uh, but how did you know about it? If oh, you could... Once again, fishermen talked about us, and there was a dentist by the name of um, God. What was his name? And he was a ski rider, and he he used to stay with the Cullens, and he, okay. he sort of talked talked us about it. Can't think of his name right now. But anyhow, and. Um, so yeah, Gallows was was pretty early. So he yeah. he tipped you off that there was a wave down there, yeah. and you guys just yep. thought, he, "Oh, we'll just park he, our he, car he, and." Walk. He used to ride a ski, you know. So yeah. he uh, told us about it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, mate, any uh, walking through Cullens there? Any anything of note on those walks or pretty <laughs> uh, long walk? Yeah, yeah, very very interesting because we all had you know sort of nine foot, nine foot six uh, uh, long boards, and to carry them, we used to actually fold a towel, our beach towel up and put that on our head and carry the bloody board on top of our head. Yeah, right. And the Callans had a couple of, uh, like, uh, 
pretty uh, attractive uh, daughters and uh, <laughs> they were sun lovers and they used to often sunbake in, in, the, in the nude. So <laughs> we used to uh, get a bit of a sneak uh, appearance every now and then. Because, <laughs> <laughs> mate, uh, keep in mind their farm uh, back then in the early 60s, I guess we're, we're probably talking now, late 50s, early 60s, that was extremely isolated. You'd think you'd be able to do a bit of nude sunbaking out there, no worries. And then next minute, out, <laughs> appearing out of the bush, a bunch of uh, well-cut young surfers with boards on their head come stumping through. They probably thought their Christmases had come at once. Uh, no, we made sure they didn't see us. Uh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic. And, mate, so gallows and guillotines. Um, yeah, well, yeah, guillotine came about. We'd uh, been surfing uh, gallows uh, there one day and a couple of us... Uh, Dave, Dave Williams, Davo, who, who is probably the best surfer out of our group, yep. and Terry Williams, uh, who I mentioned before, uh, three of us uh, went for a walk uh, further south from Gallows, and uh, we came across this uh, break, and uh, Davo said, that looks like a cutthroat wave, so uh, cutthroat wave, so yep. let's call it the, guillo- the guillotine, so yeah, that's right. how the guillotine got its name. Classic, <laughs> and you went out and surfed it? We did, that, that, yeah, we did, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a very popular break these days. Mm. And with gallows, um, you know, it's a strange wave where it's got a, a, a sort of bombing out the back that sort of really rolls through for a very long time and then uh, reforms and, and gets quite barrelly <clears throat> and shallow through the inside. And, you know, in this day and age, you know, 99% of the time people just surf that inside bit um, where they can do airs and get little tubes and that, but uh, is that where you were surfing, or were you taking off? No, out the we back? used to used to mainly go mainly go out the back and yep. catch, catch the bombies out the back. Yeah, and ride it all the way through. Yep. Yeah. Right. Cool. And bearing in mind, you're on sort of nine foot yeah. long boards, so it wasn't a hell of a lot of tube riding going on <laughs> back then. And that, well, getting back to North Point that you mentioned before, which is obviously you know one of the most famous waves in the world these days, um, mate. When did you take that on? Did you take it on? <clears throat> yeah, we did, but uh, as I said, it took, took quite a few, few years. In fact, uh, we discovered uh, Margaret's be- before that, before North Point, and uh, yep. that was about 1961, so North Point sort of came after that. And, uh, yeah, so with, with uh, Margaret's, that was another interesting one. We'd been surfing uh, Bjell's uh, there uh, one, one Saturday, and um, pretty, yeah, pretty good stuff, and uh, we were at Coe's house, uh, Drinking a bit of wallop, and um, a couple of guys wandered in. Um, uh, Warren McKinney and um, can't think of the other guy's name now. Anyhow, they started raving about these waves I'd written down at Preverly. Yep. Of course, we're all half pissed, and we said, "Oh, bullshit, bullshit!" <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing bigger than uh, yelling up. Nothing's changed there. Yeah. It sounds, sounds like a standard That's day it. down at the pub these days. Yeah, I got some sick waves. Mel, Mel, Mel Bromley and Warren McKinney. That's right. So anyhow, uh, I, can't, I honestly can't remember, but the very next day, uh, my mate Tony Harbison uh, grabbed me and uh, we went down and were the second ones to surf Margaret's. Yeah, right. There you <laughs> go. And, uh, mate, that's been a long and illustrious career of surfing Margie's. We, we, we'll, we will come to Margaret River, but, um, yeah, so you were sort of in disbelief just going, these guys are full of piss, they're full of shit. How can anything be bigger and better than yelling up? Exactly. And yeah. uh, little did you know, uh, yeah, Margaret River picks up a lot more swell than yelling up. And, it sure does. Yeah, and uh, you've been going back there ever since. Um, mate, in those early days of, of big boards and, and surfing waves, you know, like the yells left and that, which are quite sort of big, open, slopey faces, um, 
Mate, dropping in on each other and all that was, was sort of pretty standard. Tell us a, a bit about that. Yeah, look, it really wasn't a problem. Uh, yeah, there was no, it was hassle, hassle-free out there and it was quite common to have two or three guys on the same wave. You know? Even though there's only six <laughs> surfers in the whole state, you decided <laughs> that you should still share waves. Exactly. I mean, you kept your distance and it, it really wasn't a problem. Probably. It wasn't as if you are throwing your board around like they do nowadays. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, it was just all about fun, you know. Having fun. Having fun out there is all about, you know. Yeah. You mentioned in your book you used to hold hands every now and then on waves. <laughs> yeah. Is that, was that well, a special that, that, manoeuvre? Yeah, made me smaller days and yeah, two or three guys uh, holding hands. And uh, Pato, Mark Patterson, whose son's uh, Jake and Paul Patterson, you know, yep. became, you know, extremely good surfers. Uh, Pato used to do all sorts of tricks like uh, headstands and all sorts of things. Wow, that actually yeah. explains something because at the single fin competition every year, um, Danny Pado, who isn't, you know, doesn't surf a lot these days, uh, he has done the best headstands I've ever seen anybody do on a surfboard. Because, mate, I've tried a couple and, uh, mate, I last about half a second and yeah. I end up just splatting on my back awkwardly, you know, on the board. And, mate, Danny Pado doesn't surf, he surfs once a year, which is the single fin <laughs> comp. And he does these headstands that go for like 50 metres. So obviously he must That's have been picked... amazing. He's got, got it from his old man. He must have, yeah. It's, uh, well, so what was he riding on? Just, oh, longboard? The, nah, just a absolute dog of a single fin. Yeah, just oh, a... Almighty. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, pretty classic. So, mate, what about the first time you surfed North Point? Um, what, tell us about that. What, what, you know, what board were you on and how yeah. big was it? I'll get you another beer there, mate. You, you keep talking. Yeah, um, I really can't remember a lot about uh, my first first time at uh, North Point, but um, as I say, I can't, I can't even remember what year it would have been, but uh, it probably my guess would be probably 63, something like that. And, uh, yeah, all I can remember is that, uh, yeah, we were amazed that this uh, wave was there that we never really uh, realised, having surfed South Point all the time. But, uh, yeah, we're pretty impressed, obviously, that, uh, you know, the, the shape and uh, the power and everything, but uh, yeah, pretty good way. But I really can't remember a lot, a lot about the first time. Yeah, yeah. and um, mate, it's an absolute f- barreling freight train of a wave. Uh, definitely not suited to the boards of the time. Was there an era for you um, specifically where you really had a good crack at North Point and, and got some really good barrels, or? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, many years later, I used to go there fairly regularly, and um, of course, of course, it became very, very crowded, and uh, you know, particularly when it got up in size. And um, yep. but uh, yeah, I've had had some great, great days there. Yeah, on the sort of probably more in the seventies when the boards yeah, slimmed down. Yeah, probably and... would have been seventy, and because uh, that was another thing. Um, you know, when the shortboards came into fashion, uh, yeah, it was a huge, huge drop, you know, from sort of nine foot, nine foot six, you know, long boards down to all of a sudden, you know, over six foot six, yeah, six, yeah. six foot six foot six, whatever the hell the drop. Yeah, and quite a lot of guys, uh, you know, just couldn't handle it, and so they, they gave the game away. Yeah, right. Yeah, a lot of servers dropped out of it. They just couldn't handle that uh, drop in size. Yeah, it's pretty major. I mean, even these days, if I have a week or two of of surfing my mouth or whatever, and and then a good day of surf comes along and you go jump on the small board and you're like, geez, I feel like I'm sinking here, you know. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a big big difference, that's for sure. It is a big difference. Um, mate, okay, well, uh, that's pretty good. Did, did you get some – you ever had any, like, real sick barrels out at North Point? You have a couple of ones where you just got spat out there back in the early days, did you? Oh, you know, I've, uh, I've had quite a few nice cover-ups, you know, which yeah. is uh, 
pretty good for me yeah sweet mate um one thing that we've we've sort of already brushed over but i just want to bring back up um the trips down in those early days um from perth as you say how long did it take you back then <laughs> well of course there was no coast coast road back then so it used to take us about five hours to get down here yeah. and it's about um, two hours 40 these days with the beautiful highways and the I think, I think my, my record was two hours 15 minutes but uh, <laughs> that was from the Fremantle traffic bridge but uh, uh that was a bit of uh low, low flying uh, like at uh four o'clock in the morning sort of thing mate so i um i was going to bring that up later but we'll, we'll we'll touch on that one now uh stewie betnay uh dobbed you in the other day in the lineup and he said that he reckons uh you know, it, it was like mid seventies or something like that when it used to be technically still a, about a four-hour drive down from Perth, and he reckons he'd see you rock up for the early at Margaret River main break, have a surf, and then say I've got to be at a meeting in Perth at eleven thirty, and you'd take off in your uh, Mercedes. You, you loved your um, your fast cars and uh, your well-engineered cars, and and he reckons that you used to yeah get uh, come down, get a surf, and. Uh, leave the water at about nine o'clock and still make it uh, back to Perth for your 11 o'clock meeting sitting on roughly 160 mile an hour. Is there any truth <laughs> to that story? Yeah, thank Christ I never got picked up. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there is some truth to that. And uh, yeah, there, there were occasions because I was pretty full on in business then and uh, yep. there were times where I had to get back, but I uh, still still had to get myself in as well. <laughs> that's uh, Mate, that's impressive, just banging out a quick dawny at Margaret's. And uh, I mean, keep in mind, uh, listeners, that back then the roads were, you know, had far less traffic on them. And, yeah, uh, they did. Well, I know. think the speed limit was like was 120 or something, so... Yeah. So you're yeah, only really doing doubling it. was no big deal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he reckons you're doing 160 mile an hour, <laughs> about 240. But uh, anyway, may or may not have happened. So, you know. Uh, but, mate, some of those early trips down the car, before you got yourself a U-Butte <laughs> Mercedes that could do 200 plus, um, tell us about some of those trips because they would have been pretty rough and raucous with a couple of larrikins and you're all pretty young and uh, <clears> yeah, <throat> gravel tracks and all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, well, that, those early early days, as I say, there was no coast road, so it used to take us about five hours to get down to yelling up, and um, and uh, of course uh, we'd stop uh, every second pub for refreshments. <laughs> it was so, probably a Friday afternoon so we when you pre- left. Pretty prime by the time we uh, got down here. Classic, and uh, mates, um, on the trips back, you mentioned something in your, in your book um, that you had a little routine that you used to uh, go by with a couple of your mates to. Um, to make the trip back a bit better involving um, stopping in at uh, Bunbury and uh, playing music or something like that. Tell us about that. Yeah, we did. Uh, back then, um, those early days, uh, our, uh, I guess our, um, our most popular form of music amongst uh, all our group was uh, trad jazz, traditional jazz. So we're all mad keen on, on jazz and a couple of the, couple of the early surfers uh, you know, played instruments and so on the way back to Perth, we used to stop at the Highway Hotel in Bunbury for the Sunday afternoon session. And a few of the boys, uh, Bernie Huttle used to play piano, and Artie Taylor used to play trombone, and uh, Don Bancroft, Bancroft, who became one of Australia's top uh, trumpet players, was on trumpet, and uh, Tony Harbison on uh, string T-chest uh, bass. And uh, so we had the makings of a really good uh, little jazz band, so they used to play at the session and... Um, 
and the re- re- rewards were a free beer for the band and uh, the hangers-on. Oh, I happened to be one of the hangers-on. <laughs> Did you? So you'd uh, you'd surf all weekend and uh, sleeping in the hammocks under the trees and then make your way up to the bright lights of uh, Bunbury and uh, get up on stage and, and play music for a few beers and maybe a feed. Is that right? Yeah, and go home half pissed. <laughs> that sounds like a bloody good uh, weekend away, mates. Um, and also, I mentioned there, you know, we've mentioned the, the hammocks and the Malalukas and all that sort of stuff. Um, you graduated from the hammocks at some stage to sort of some of the older buildings uh, attached to the Caves House Hotel. Is that right? <clears throat> yeah, we did. Um, back then, uh, Caves House was a state government-owned hotel and the, uh, the then manager was a guy by the name of Bill Copley, lovely guy. And as I said before, we used to go to Kay's house uh, yeah, most nights after after surfing or afternoons. And, and anyhow, we put the hard word on Bill uh, there one, one, one time and said, Bill, there's an old disused laundry, because I used to, have this, used to do all their own laundry and everything, and they had this building that uh, wasn't being used anymore. How about letting us have that as our clubhouse? <laughs> so, yeah, no worries, boys. So uh, we turned this old laundry into a clubhouse and we put about half a dozen double-deck uh, beds, uh, wire beds in there, and uh, that was home for about the next uh, 10 years. So 10 years you got out of that joint, that's all right. 10 years you got out of that one, beauty. Yeah, I think we did, and uh, yeah, but, uh, it, was, it was great. You know, you'd have, have a few beers at Kay's house and then just uh, stay, stay back to the shack about 50 metres away. <laughs> Classic. And did you used to drive down to the surf from there in the morning or did you just walk down the ghost track? No, 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 we used to, we used to drive. Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, they they were great times, and you can just imagine, you know, <clears throat> half a dozen, ten guys or a dozen guys in in the shack. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all the stuff that used to go on it was uh, hilarious. And yep. uh, surf all all young fellas on yep. surfing weekend away and drinking beers at the pub and had your own little uh, clubhouse there. Yeah, mate, sounds pretty. Uh, sounds like Nirvana surfing oh, Nirvana. It was fantastic, it really was. And uh, Bill was a lovely guy, and uh, there were occasions there when. Back then, we'd be drinking, drinking booze in the pub at uh, Saturday night, and uh, back then uh, it was ten o'clock closing, and uh, right. Bill used to ten o'clock. So, okay, boys, it's uh, ten o'clock closing time. We'd say, yeah, okay, Bill, see you later, mate. And he'd wander up the stairs to his bedroom, and uh, we'd jump the bar, pour the beer, put the money in the till, and <laughs> about midnight, I uh, think, well, shit, there might be a, a wave in the morning, so we'd. Just, Shut up the the pub and stagger back to the uh, the shack. The old honesty system. <laughs> That's it. Wow, jeez, uh, I don't can't think a, you'd, can't imagine that happening now. I don't think that'd be happening these days. Yeah, mate, don't worry, just flip me the keys, I'll, I'll sort it out for you. Oh, mate, that sounds like a pretty uh, classic time era in time there. That's unreal. And um, in that uh, little laundry house there. In your book there, you mentioned um, a pretty funny story about your mate Spider one night. <laughs> T- tell us about that one. Oh, I mentioned Spider before. He is my cousin and uh, best mate. Also played hockey for Australia and uh, represented Australia in three Olympics. So oh, right. Uh, wow, pretty, three Olympics. Pretty, pretty bloody good hockey player. Yeah. But, uh, anyhow, Must have shins uh, made of steel, did he? <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, yeah, one, one night we were drinking piss and... Um, in the Coe's house, and uh, one of the guys, uh, John Shaw, the name was Artie Shaw, nickname Artie Shaw. Anyhow, he lined up this uh, barmaid um Coe's house. And, He's a bit um, of a smooth talker, was he, Artie yeah, Shaw? Yeah, a smooth talker, and he said, right. well, yeah, when you knock off, come over to the shack. So, to the laundry shack. Yeah. So anyhow, we, uh, after 
belly full of booze, we all staggered back to the shack and uh, hit, hit the sack. And um, about midnight or something, I hear this little faint voice, um, John, John, where are you? <laughs> and this is Spider, who I might have was on the same bloody bunk as me. And oh, no. I was up on the top bunk and he's on the bottom bunk and uh, he, uh, one for not missing opportunities, said, over here. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow... Uh, uh, this, he won, won this bear for the night and, uh, and the bloody bear was rocking and rolling all night. <laughs> and, and then the next morning in daylight and she took one look at him and he screamed, who hey, the bloody hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> so Spy Spider then uh, spent the rest of the weekend walking around with a smile like, across his face <laughs> like a big cheesy he's never, never seen. And what, and what happened to the other fella? He did all the hard work. Uh, poor, poor old Artie Shaw wasn't very impressed. Wait, did he just fall asleep or something and miss, miss he the... Did, he did, he did indeed. <laughs> That's classic. Oh, mate. And uh, also uh, another story about uh, little whispers in the night. Um, uh, down in Yelling Up, I'm not sure when it got built, but there wasn't many houses and, and stuff down there, but... Um, there was a little bit of uh, holiday accommodation down there on what was it Hammond Road, which is now yeah, Hammond there Road. Yeah, the, the Hammond family had five little uh, cottages. Yep. And some of those little original cottages are still there, actually. And yeah, right. They had a little shop there on the on the corner where Surfside became later. Yep. And uh, yeah, so um, quite often when it uh, used to piss down rain in in the, in the hammocks, uh, we'd try and look for safer grounds and uh, yeah one of those grounds was um, the old schoolhouse on the corner of Wildwood Road and um, and Kays Road and we used to sleep on the veranda there and uh, the other places we used to try try and sneak into was one, one of the Hammond cottages so we'd go around and if the, if there was a window under lock, unlocked or whatever we'd climb into there so anyhow yep. one night we, we found pissed down rainy and uh, so three of us uh, Jim Keenan, Spider Evans, and myself uh, went over and we found our way into one of the Hammond cottages and had a, had a, a, a bunk each, bed each. And um, at halfway through the night, there's a knock on the door with this uh, voice, I know you're there, come out. You know, it was uh, Mrs. Hammond. So. The old lady so running the joint. <laughs> so there was silence and she, she repeated herself about three or four times, come on, I know there's somebody in there. So one of the guys, Jim Keenan, was quite a character, he said, he said, no, there's no one in here. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, we pissed ourselves laughing and she kicked us out. and <laughs> Kicked you out into the rainy night, yeah, did she? It, yeah. Oh, that's a bit rough. And, um, mate, so you guys are a bunch of young hot rats from uh, from the city coming down with your weird-looking surfboard craft and no doubt all <clears> fit <throat> as a fiddle. Um, mates, uh, how was your reception um, by the... I mean, the locals down here were, would have just been farmers. Um, tell us about some of the interactions there. <clears throat> yeah, they were. They were uh, mainly uh, dairy farmers. And, of course, they, they just couldn't uh, work out this uh, weird bloody mob that used to come out here and go out into these treacherous waters, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, of course, even back then, we, we used to dress differently. We used to talk differently, you know, and uh, they they didn't want to have a bar of us and... Um, so, yeah, so we had some pretty interesting times uh, for the first uh, two or three years. It probably took two or three years before they uh, realised that we weren't such uh, bad pricks after all. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, <clears throat> did you spend most nights uh, just happily having a few beers in the Malalukas or caves or did you ever venture into the big city of Bustledon, 20 k's north? <clears throat> yeah, we did. 
So yeah, sometimes we'd uh, venture into Busso and uh, we'd drink at either the Bass or the commercial hotel. And, uh, of course, back then, uh, as I said, we, we, we really were different. And uh, it used to take about five minutes for the locals to, to have a go at us. And so it'd be sort of one-on-one fisticuffs and uh, yeah. you'd be building shit out of each other until, <laughs> until you're both buggered and then you'd walk up to the bar and have a beer, beer together. And that was it? You were mates after that? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and, pretty. Uh, and there's another time when we used to sometimes go to the they used to have local dances at Young Apple and Young Gorilla up. And uh, Where, where's Young Young Gorilla? Young Gorilla up, sort of east of Bustling, sort of in, inland from Bustling. Okay. And I remember one occasion we <clears throat> went to the dance there, and um, and of course all the farmers uh, was there one night out of the week, Saturday night, and all dressed in their pin tight suits and ties and. Whatever, and we'd rock up in you know a pair of shorts and t-shirts and thongs or whatever, and um, <laughs> and uh, and again, it didn't take long for something to be on. And uh, yeah, one occasion there, that sort of um, they used to have an interval halfway through the night, and that would come all the the tea and scones and cakes and everything. So, <laughs> so <laughs> was there beer? The... Was there beer getting drunk at these dances, or oh, was it yeah, all tea and scones? Yeah. yeah. What was that? Just everyone bought their own long necks or something, did they? Yeah. The old, yeah. the old, the old um, what do you call it? <clears throat> can't call the big, the big ones, the um, the, the big brownie. I can't even call them. Anyhow, yep. one night they had younger up up the hall and the. the um, break their tea break and uh, was sort of stuck in all the all the tucker and everything and uh, one of the guys accidentally bugsy more kicked over a, a, a cup of tea and of course it was on <laughs> that's it there were six of us and uh, three of the guys bolted which left uh, three of us and uh, one of the guys who kicked over bugsy he was only sort of knee high to a piss pot so uh, he couldn't do much which left two of us uh, desi gaines and myself and uh, there's about 10 the big burly farmers building shit out of us. <laughs> all because he kicked over a teapot. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's all they need. They, they were looking for an excuse, you know, to yeah. have a go at us. So anyhow, we, we both got cleaned up. Uh, Des handled himself pretty well. Yeah. We got cleaned up and uh, got the old one, two, three out the, the front door onto the gravel road. And that was the end of the night. <laughs> the end of the night, yeah. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's a bit of a few punch-ups going on back in the day, but it seemed like, um, you, you know, my dad's from that era and told me plenty of stories. It seemed like there was a little bit more etiquette in the, uh, in the punch-ups back then, not like now where, you know, uh, it's all group stuff and kicking a man while he's down. That, that sort of didn't really happen back then, did it? Yeah, look, it was very pretty innocent stuff. Just just one on one, fist fist of cuffs. You know, you build each other a bit. And um, <laughs> but yeah, nowadays out come the bloody steel bars and whack you over the head and yeah, knives. And, crap. and if you do hit the, the deck, they like kick the bloody hell out of your head. You know, it's yeah, just, it's just not on. No, there's no uh, no courage in that. That's no, for sure. Definitely not, mate. Um, oh, while we're on the subject, Ant Man. Uh, Reckons there was a bit of a folklore story about um, some bikies turning up at your beloved Caves House uh, Hotel uh, one time. I'm not sure what era it was or, or anything like that, but tell us tell us a bit about that. Yeah, there was a, uh, the bikies used to come down. I think it used to be a January long weekend for memory, and uh, year after year they used to come down and try and take over the bar at, uh, at Cave's house. Because um, there was probably no bouncers back then or uh, oh, no, definitely no, no the bouncers closest police would have been half an hour away and yep. if not further. <laughs> so uh, I remember the one occasion they, they came in and started making you know, pricks for themselves at uh, the front bar at Cave's house and wanted to sort of take take over. So uh, I wandered up to the, to the lead of the group and 
told him to sort of piss off sort of thing. So immediately <laughs> he gave, gave me a, a, a head, a head knock, what do you call it? A headbutt? Yeah, headbutt. He, he gave, yeah, right. gave me a bloody headbutt and sort of laid me out. And right. So t- Tony Harbison and uh, Jim Farrell and a couple of other guys could really handle themselves. So uh, we finished up, you know, cleaning them up and uh, got rid of them. And uh, that, that, that sort of thing has happened quite a few times. And, uh, yeah, we, we got the better, better of the bikies uh, on each occasion, you know. So there was a few run-ins with the bikies, was there? A, f- a few separate run-ins on the bikies? Yeah, there were. There were. Yeah. I remember another time there was um, where the caravan park is now and they lit this bloody big fire, you know. So I went over and, you know, told them to piss off sort of thing and yeah. uh, and they did. But, uh, yeah, there were quite a few fights in, in, the, in the front bar. Yeah. And Tony Harbison could really handle himself and uh, Jim Farrell and a few others. So... Uh, yeah, uh, interesting times. <laughs> so Ant-Man Patterson reckons uh, there's a legend going around that uh, in one of these big bikey brawls that one of the guys tried to take off after you were getting the better of him and apparently grabbed him by the hair and scalped him. Is that true? <laughs> or is that uh, is that a legend that's uh, grown over time? <laughs> I really can't recall that one. But I, do, <laughs> I do remember another occasion where a bloody bikey grabbed uh, what hair I did have and ripped it ripped, ripped it off the top of my bloody hair. I remember oh, that. Someone ripped your hair out. They ripped my hair out, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Yeah, right. Um, and, mate, just for the listeners out there, um, if you hear me yourself, uh, me repeating some of my questions, uh, uh, Kev does have a hearing aid in. and uh, So uh, don't, don't uh, think we've got a technical area here, uh, um, especially if you see Kev out in the water. Um, make sure he's looking at you when you're yelling at him because he needs to lip read because he's uh, yeah he's got a couple of uh, a little uh, what do you call them auxiliary ports in there. Can we charge our phone off that thing in your head there, Kev? Or how does yeah, it work? Yeah, that, that's just an implant, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and all the years of surfing, I used to get uh, chronic infections in in my right ear, and uh, yep. that turned into a growth, and that growth called cholesterolma used to. That, that sort of uh, destroys everything in its path uh, heading up to the brain. And if it does get to the brain, oh, well, it's all over Red Rover. Right. And I was very, very fortunate. I managed to get to the uh, to an ear specialist, um, Marcus Atlas, who's a guru. Yep. And uh, he, he managed to diagnose it, uh, you know, just before it got to the brain. So, right. uh, so yeah, that was one of the surgery I had. Uh, they sort of took everything out of my right ear, all the outer ear, eardrum, everything all taken out taken out and sealed off and uh, an implant now and uh, yep. a thing that clicks onto that screw goes through a bone in my head and um, yeah. an attachment clicks onto that it's called a Baja and that picks up the sound waves and converts it to sound uh, vibrations and it works on bone conduction and wow. uh, gives me hearing but uh, as you say out in the water I, of course I, I can't wear them in the water so yeah. I hear very little out there and people yep. try and talk to me and I sort of nod my hair and head and <laughs> shake my head and probably 50% I might get it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, classic. Um, so is that different to surfer's ear or? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's yep. a lot more serious than surfer's surface ear basically. is just the canal shrinks and trying to protect itself from the wind and cold, cold and yep. water, etc. Yep. And it shrinks so that you've got to sort of drip draw it out, etc. But uh, no, as I say, this... It was quite a chronic infection, so yeah, the message is uh, to all surfers, look after your ears. Yeah, but uh, maybe put on a hoodie in those windy days and cold windy days, and I, I run a hoodie a fair bit, even in summer, and those uh, we get pretty stiff easterlies in the morning and they're still yep. cold at first light, so hopefully that um, holds me in good stead. But um, 
All right, mate. So what about uh, back to some of those trips down south? Uh, I believe you used to come down in an old FB Holden and um, one of your mates used to play pranks on uh, on the on the fellow who owned the car? What, what was that about? Yeah, yeah. The, the owner of the car was a guy named Bernie Huddle. He was about six foot six and uh, skinny as a bloody rake. And we used to call him Praying Mantis was his yeah. sort of <laughs> nickname. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he, uh, Bernie was actually an industrial chemist, you know, quite a bright, bright guy, but uh, right. absolutely no mechanical sort of uh, skills or practical skills, you know, whatsoever. And... Uh, yeah, he had this FB Holden or whatever it was, and uh, we used to come down regularly with him, and you know, mainly uh, Spider Evans and myself, and one other guy, Jim Keenan. Jim Keenan's one of the very original guys, and uh, yeah, a real character. So he used to sit in the free, front seat with uh, with Bernie, and um, which would sort of be uh, halfway dead down the way they're yelling up, and uh, he would just slowly put his leg across and uh, onto the clutch and slowly push the clutch down <laughs> and of course all of a sudden the bloody motor's revving like buggy and Bernie's throwing his hands in the air what the bloody hell's going on there's something wrong with this bloody car you know <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh yeah Jim used to do that on trick on him trip after trip after trip after trip and really? Bernie never ever worked it out never <laughs> cottoned on to it <laughs> never oh on. mate that's classic and what about uh you mentioned Jake and Paul uh Patterson's dad Mark Paddo uh that he had some pretty good surfing tricks like headstands and stuff um you reckon he had some good driving tricks too is that right yeah he did he had just had this little bloody ford uh, prefect uh, utility and uh quite a number of times i used to sort of go, go down with with him and uh he used to roar down the hill towards uh yelling up back then it was a gravel road and he would literally you know uh, slide along the the, the road sort of yeah, halfway around the, around the corner. How the hell he never rolled it, I'll never know. But, Just doing uh, fishtails all the way down the yeah, hill, was he? Yeah, he was pretty, pretty skillful. Uh, that's classic, mate. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a good time, mate. It was, uh, as I say, yeah, a lot less people on the roads and, you know, no RBTs and uh, a lot less safety in the car. But, uh, yeah, you guys definitely uh, sort of could do what you wanted in a way on the roads back then and hopefully everyone got through it. There's... Um, Probably not as many crashes as there is now, but uh, yeah. there's probably a couple still. But yeah, no. When I look back, look back over the years, uh, there's no doubt that uh, yeah, we're very, very lucky to, have, in my opinion, had had the best times uh, down here. You know, they, they were laugh a minute and uh, times that uh, certainly I'll remember forever. Yeah, for sure. And uh, mate, so back onto the actual surf breaks themselves. Um, you know, you'd, you'd found gallows and ingies and, and yells and you found Margaret's. What about the very first time you laid your eyes on Margaret's, which has just been an absolute love affair for you? You've uh, mentioned that it's your favourite wave and it still is and you still venture out there on pretty solid days. Um, just to let the listeners know, you know, he's 83 years old and I've still seen him out there on solid six to eight foot days. Um, you can't stand up anymore. On your, but you've got you, you're not riding a chessboard. You, you've got a big uh, eight foot uh, pintail thruster, and uh, you're still out there paddling around, and you, and you can't quite get to your your feet anymore with the hips being a bit bugging and whatnot. Um, but he still paddles into eight footers and just takes them on laying down, and still gets an absolute uh, flogging out there, and and you know gets pounded by uh, you know some pretty serious waves that a lot of younger people are still scared of. So. Um, Mate, it's a credit to you that you're actually still doing that. Uh, it's inspirational, and I hope I can 
still be doing it at that age. Um, but, mate, tell us about the first time that you laid your eyes on Margaret River Mainbreak. Well, as I mentioned, uh, these guys have uh, for the first time and uh, Tony Harps and myself uh, went down and it was a pretty, pretty solid day and, uh, yeah, we just couldn't couldn't believe, you know, the power of the, the waves uh, down there and, um, and yeah, that sort of was the start of a very long journey with uh, with Margaret and, um, uh, you know, as you said, I, I can't stand up anymore and the reason for that is that uh, with all the ear surgery and all the ear problems I've had, it, it, it has affected my balance. Oh, okay, it's not the hips. Considerably, so that, that, that's the problem. So I can't yep. sort of get to my feet and keep my balance. So I'm right. actually bodyboarding on a on a shortboard, eight foot uh, shortboard and uh, having a ball, you know. Yeah. Um, you're not standing up, but you're, you're in the, still in the action area. And, yeah, um, still feeling and, the surge uh, of the ocean, so it's all yeah, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm ha- ha- having a ball, and um, so uh, yeah. I'll keep on doing as long as I can. Mate, I did, there's not many 80-plus-year-olds out there in eight-foot surf. I can I can give you the tip right now. I'd like to I'd like to see at least one more, to be perfectly honest. I don't know if there's any, so, mate, it's an absolute solid effort. But... Um, so yeah, Margaret River. Um, you you got down there. You seen the juice. You just loved it. It's such a classic wave, um, mates. Tell us about a, a big offshore day down there with one of your mates called Ghost. <laughs> yeah, well, Ghost was uh, one of the early crew, and the reason his name Ghost was he was, he had very 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 fair skin, and he used to put the white zinc back then. There was no sort of sunscreen. He used to put this white zinc all over his face, and he literally looked like a bloody ghost. So yeah, right. That, that of course became his nickname. And yeah, one day out at Margaret's, so like a very very solid day. Probably back then, you know, back then we probably would have been calling it, you know, eight or ten foot. Yep. And uh, ghost took on off, took off on a wave and um, set wave and um, blew it and. Um, was howling offshore and his board went back over the wave and of course the ghost thought his board had gone in so no leg ropes obviously so he started going in after his board got about halfway in and in the meantime i'd caught a wave and i was paddling back out and i said ghost your board went back out <laughs> with the wind so you better swim back out after us <laughs> so i paddled back out the line up and was sitting out there and i'm watching the ghost and he wasn't a very good swimmer <laughs> and he's swimming and like wasn't a very good swimmer hunt, 100 metres, 200 metres out, the, you know, past, past the takeoff. And, um, and I thought, oh, yeah, poor bugger's in trouble here, so I better go and help him. So I paddled out, and by the time I sort of got to him, because his board was drifting, you know, as fast, if not faster than he, he could swim. Like a 20, 25 knot offshore yeah, blowing out the sea. offshore. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyhow, we eventually um, got, got to him, and, um, and his board was another 100 metres out, so I finished up paddling out to his board. By the time I got his board, I, I, without any exaggeration, it would have been at least a K out in the middle of the bloody ocean. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, at least. And um, so anyhow, we, we, I got the board back to him and uh, it, it literally took us about an hour to bloody paddle back in against all the, the, the strong <laughs> offshore and uh, we both sort of collapsed on the beach and uh, <laughs> that was it. But yeah, he, he was a gutsy surfing ghost, you know. He wasn't a great surfer, but a lot, a lot of courage. Yeah, right. Well, uh, mate, people have said the same thing about you, actually, that you had a lot of courage in your surfing. Um, mate, it's kind of pretty interesting that in an era without leg ropes, you're out there surfing uh, eight to ten foot windy Margaret River, and uh, he's a self-confessed not a very good swimmer. That's an interesting combination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I've never been a strong swimmer. My, my brother was a very good swimmer. 
won Australian uh, junior on R and surf lifesaving and that. But uh, yeah, for whatever reason, it probably probably my physique. I don't know. But good swimmers are usually got sort of long trunks and um, and broad shoulders. Uh, I don't have a long trunk and I don't have broad shoulders. But uh, uh, so yeah, I, I struggle. Um, yeah, I, I swim swim about uh, yeah twenty meters and I've got to stop for a breather. So <laughs> I'm not a very strong swimmer. So yeah, probably at the moment that's probably my biggest fear that on a big day uh, I'll snap a board, snap a leg rope and the board gets uh, you know, caught in a rip at either markets or going up and uh, yep. you know, I'm, I'm in a bit of trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, mate, I'm sure, uh, mate, you're very well known in the lineups um, in those areas and I'm sure if someone seen you swimming they'd come over to help you out. I would like to think so. I would anyway, that's for sure. But, um, mate, you've had a couple of ripping wipeouts at Margaret River over such a long career at Margie's. Uh, give, give us a couple that, that pop into your head. Oh, going back, I don't know, maybe 15 years or, or, or thereabouts. I really don't know. But, uh, yeah, took off on a set, set wave uh, pretty big, about, about 10, 10 foot a day, and um, took off fully committed. And, um, yeah, no sooner jumped to my feet. And sure enough, there was a couple of guys right down the bottom of the way, you know, directly in front of me. Right. So I sort of... Through my board and uh, went down, uh, hit one of the one of the board, or did a somersault, hit one of the boards, and, uh, and then came down, hit hit the other board, and uh, in the process, I uh, I broke broke three ribs and um, fractured a collar collarbone and uh, punctured a lung. So oh, uh, <laughs> that, that wasn't wasn't very pleasant. Oh, <laughs> so I finished up speaking, uh, spending a week in the Margaret River Hospital, and uh, a week, yeah, a week in the Margaret River Hospital, yeah. Wow. And, um, which has become a uh, you know, pretty regular place anyhow. I've been there many, many, many times, getting <laughs> stitched, stitched up with you know, fin cuts and reef cuts and God knows what. Yeah, right. Wow, I say a double a double board wipeout landed on not not one board but two boards. Yeah, at the bottom. I, I was very, very lucky because it was a pretty solid day, and fortunately it was a sort of last wave in the set. And I reckon the. Had there been another one or two ways, I, I reckon I probably would have gone straight to the bottom and that would have been it. Would have been a tough swim in. I mean, it's yeah. a good, well, it's probably, what, 200 metres out to sea at the best yeah, of times. Yeah, so. a long, long way out there. Yeah, it's a long long paddle out. Um, yeah, right. Uh, mate, I was speaking to Paul Ant-Man Patterson uh, recently, uh, a couple of days ago, and he was uh, just saying that, mate, you know, uh, Kev was all about courage in the surf. He said he might not have been a Taj Burrow, but he uh, certainly had uh, a fair set of gonads on him and he remembers specifically Ant-Man was calling a 10 to 12 foot day at Margaret River, which generally means it's, it's probably even a bit bigger coming from Ant-Man because we all know what Ant-Man's like. And, uh, mate, he reckons he just seen you go down on, on a, just a monster uh, and he was watching, he was paddling back out and he, he reckons that... Um, he was actually fearing for your life. He said it was a really nasty wipeout. Uh, he said it wasn't that long ago. Uh, you know, he said you were about 65 at the time and you just went down on this huge one and Ant-Man was just like, holy crap, uh, Kev might be dead here. And, and he paddled over to you and uh, apparently you just popped up and uh, and Ant-Man said, uh, you okay? And you're like, yeah, mate, no worries. Brushed it off and went back out there for another one. So, <laughs> mate, if Ant-Man was concerned uh, for your life on a wipeout, that's saying something because that guy's had some hideous ones himself. So uh, I don't know if you remember that one at all. but 
Yeah, Just look, I, I really can't, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that blends in, does it, mate? <laughs> many, many wipeouts at uh, Marcus, but uh, yeah, look, I I really admire uh, Ant Man and um, and and Jake, and and in fact, yeah, and that's been one of the pleasures I've had in surfing, seeing all the the young guys, you know, you know, kids of guys that I've surfed with, you know, come up and you know, with the Patterson brothers and. Uh, and yeah, you know, Taj Burrow and uh, Jack Robinson, and you know, you could name another half a dozen or more. You know, yep. Yeah, you know, it's just it's been fantastic to see you know, those guys come through and to the level that they've taken their, their surfing, and also uh, in more recent years to see you know, the, the, the number of women that oh, have yeah. uh, come through, and it just it just blows my mind. You know, it's fantastic to see them out there, and uh, you know, even even at Margaret's on a you know, reasonable day, you get a few out there, and uh, yep. And yeah, that that's been great to see see all that. Yeah, for sure. And um, mate, do you ever watch the any of the surf comps and that? Have you ever really followed any of that or on uh, on well, the I, internet? I, I, I usually go down to the Margaret River Masters. So I usually go down sort of one, one or two days during the event, try and pick the best best uh, couple of days. You know. Yep. And yeah, I I, I I love going down there and watching it, and it just blows my mind just how, how good those guys are. You know? Yeah, what they do out there. And what about uh, do you ever watch the world tour on the on the computer and stuff like that? Do you? No, I haven't 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 done that really. Never no. really got into that. I'm, yep. uh, I'm on the sort of um, mailing list of Surfing WA, and uh, they send you know sort of emails, clips of different stuff all the time. So yeah, I watch that. Yeah. So you don't know what a vlog is, do you, Kev? A vlog. A no, what? Yeah, exactly. No, you answered that question, mate. I'm a just vlog, a, did you say a, vlog? A, a vlog. Yeah, no, I'm a just vlog. playing yeah, with I you. Know mate. What a vlog is, yeah. No, yeah, a vlog, a video log. Yeah, I do, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, mate. I'm just having a having a crack at you here, no, Kev. That's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm an old man. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all good. Uh mate, um yeah, so back in those days and, and you had these main spots, um, you know, you you were venturing out a, a, a little bit. Um, that's all right. Um, mate, how long was it before, you know, you started really going deeper? Were you looking for beach breaks and stuff or were you always just looking for the, the reef break or, you know, how much adventuring did you do and, and how long did it take before you guys really just started finding every nook and cranny? So, talking about down here? Yeah, so, down here, yep. Yeah, no, as I say, just a very, very slow progression of, uh, you know, discovering places, uh, you know, one by one as, as they went, you know, as you know, you know, the Bears was discovered by, by three guys and um, yep. the 70s, but, um, yeah, no, we, we didn't, uh, you know, spend a lot of time out uh, you know, searching new new breaks. Didn't didn't hunt the beach breaks and stuff that much. I suppose you didn't need to because you just no, went not, to the reliability really. I mean, of the reefs. Yeah, much much prefer the sort of reef breaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and you well, back in Perth before I moved down here permanently. Um, uh, I used to surf trigs uh, most mornings you know, when I was working. But, yep. Uh, yeah. Right. And what about the south coast of uh, WA? Did you ever do much adventuring down there? No, not not really. Um, Okay, we're back there. Sorry about that uh, little intermission. Uh, phones were ringing and uh, Kev Zundies was singing. He had to zip outside. But, uh, yeah, mate, we were talking about, uh, you know, just whether you chase beach breaks and stuff like that. And um, and you're saying that, obviously, you know, for a long period of time, you were, you were based in Perth. Um, you had your farm down here where we're sitting right now, um, but you were still running a lot of businesses. And so you were getting your surfs in at Perth. Um, uh apparently used to have a uh, a dog called molly and um 
and she used to go down to Triggs there with you a fair bit and uh, cause a bit of havoc. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, no, that's not quite right. Uh, Molly nope. was the dog we had here. The dog we had in Perth was uh, a beagle called Jelly Roll. Okay. <laughs> Je- Jelly Roll was actually uh, a famous uh, jazz musician, actually. Right. That's how he got, got his name. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jelly Roll used to go everywhere I, I went um, in the mornings, uh, as did uh, Molly uh, back down to here, down south. But, uh, yeah, there was uh, occasions where I used to, used to take... Um, Jelly roll to, to, to Triggs and um, yeah, he'd be sort of on, on the beach sort of sniffing, sniffing around as beagles do. And uh, yep. yeah, there was uh, one, one occasion where I was sort of out the back and you know, look, looking for a surf and um, one of the guys said, hey, mate, uh, the, the rangers uh, got your dog. I said, oh, yeah. Did you so, weren't, allowed, weren't allowed dogs down at Triggs Beach? At Triggs, no, 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 dogs weren't allowed. So I, so I paddled madly in and uh, raced up the beach and... Just in time, the, the, the ranger was just about to take off with my jelly roll. Really? <laughs> so with my I jelly t- roll? <laughs> t- tapped him on the window and I said, hey, mate, uh, you got my dog there? And uh, he said, yeah, and I'm taking him to the pound. Right. And I said, oh, bloody hell you are. So I went around the back of the, uh, the ranger's uh, ute and uh, opened the door and about a half a dozen or more dogs all jumped out <laughs> <laughs> went in all different directions, including jelly roll. Ah, <laughs> oh, classic. So you got your dog back? and uh, Got my dog problem. back and uh, the poor old ranger was scratching his head and uh, couldn't believe what was going on. <laughs> classic. And was that the same dog that uh, cocked his legs on a innocent uh, bystander? <laughs> yeah, it was actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not another funny story. Uh, yeah, when there was no surf at uh, Triggs, I used to sort of uh, run up the Scarborough and back and uh, have, a, have a swim in the mornings and Jelly Roll used to follow me. And uh, anyway, one morning we went for the run and um, sort of halfway back from from uh, Scarborough to Triggs and there's a guy on the beach uh, doing uh, doing sit uh, I mean uh, body presses push ups so, push ups yeah doing yep. push ups so uh, Jelly Roll just on on his way uh, through just cocked his leg and pissed on this guy <laughs> 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 he jumped up and abused shit out of me and I just kept running so I never, didn't see anything that happened <laughs> yeah classic you just picked up your pace a bit did you uh, yep. it's pretty funny um all right mate so when you're in perth there um you're obviously you've been surfing a long time you were still doing a lot of down south trips and and you know quick strike missions in the mercedes at uh high speeds may or may not have happened um mate you also used to shoot over to roto every now and then um did you did you surf much over there or uh, yeah i did uh, mainly, mainly winter time you know when the the biggest swells were around and uh, as I said, I used to go to Triggs every morning and sort of check out what was happening on quite a number of occasions. I thought, well, hang on, uh, Strickland Bay would be uh, going off uh, right now. Yep. So I'd go home and uh, uh, Margaret didn't know, but I used to uh, go home. and <laughs> going to whisper this ring, part? Ring, ring my secretary at work and say, look, I'm not, not going to be in today. And, uh, of course, she wasn't very impressed. And um, so I'd uh, drive the car down to, to Frio and uh, jump on the Rotto ferry and go over to Rotto and uh, hire a bike and uh, ride the bike out to Strickland's and uh, surf for a couple of hours and uh, most of the time by myself and uh, ride the bike back into the to the bakery and you know, have a pie and, um, and a couple of beers at the pub and uh, <laughs> catch, catch the ferry home. So <laughs> and <laughs> that, that was much better than uh, going to the office and, you know, being be stuck with a bloody phone on the on the, on the ear most day. of the day. Yeah, for sure. And what what year what year was that roughly? Oh, that that would have been probably in the uh, the eighties, I'd say. So it was pretty uncrowded over there back yep. then. 
Yeah, not many yeah, people were. I mean, as you know, Strickland can, can get good. Yeah, it gets real good and gets real crowded these days. Everyone's on, does, the, yeah. well, on the weather maps. And, virtually no one, yeah. Yeah, right. That's awesome. And did you surf in any other waves in right now? So you just sort of went to that one? No, nah, mainly Strickland there. Yeah, fair enough. And, um, mates, what about other surfing missions? Where did you uh, – obviously, you were – you know, you were a pretty busy guy with the, with your business and in the footy days and stuff. But um, when did you start uh, going on further afield for surfing adventures? <clears throat> well, probably at a very, very early age, probably, I don't know, maybe from 30 on. Uh, yeah, Mark and myself usually uh, head off overseas somewhere uh, you know, d- d- during the year, mainly wintertime. But, um, yeah, for quite a, a few times I used to involve uh, surfing trips. So... Um, been to places like uh, you know, Hawaii, uh, Fiji, uh, Maldives, uh, uh, South Africa, and uh, oh, Mauritius, and yeah, right. quite a few other places. So, uh, what yeah. about Hawaii? Uh, just the once in Hawaii, or did you go there a couple of times? Yeah, a couple of times, but the the first time was uh, pretty interesting. Um, back then, I, I used to go to Sydney uh, quite frequently on business, as I mentioned before, and um, yep. I uh, I knew Midget, Midget Farrelly uh, very well back then, and uh, as you probably know, Midget was the first world champion. Yeah, at the Manly and, titles. Um, yep. So every time I went to Sydney, I used to go out to his I think his book bookvale uh, factory, and uh, Midget used to shape boards, and I used to go out there and have a chat with him, and I, I rode his boards for quite a number of years, and oh, okay. uh, got to know him pretty well. Yep. So the first trip we went to Hawaii, uh, sort of bumped into Midget. Um, because I, I went with uh, the wife Margaret and another guy, John Checkley, who was a real gutsy surfer uh, down here, and his wife. And um, so the first day we went out the North Shore because we were staying downtown Honolulu and uh, bumped into uh, Midget and uh, had a chat. And uh, Midget said, well, look, you know, come and check me out every morning and I'll take you to where I think it's working best. Uh, so he had this, this bungalow or shack literally right on, right on the beach, uh, sort of halfway between pipeline and sunset right so we used to go go early in the morning and call in the midget's place and he'd take us to wherever we were surfing best you know all different places Haleua, Haleua and uh, Lanakea, Popakea and other different places and one day he, he said oh because he, he he could literally see both sunset and pipeline you know from his cottage and he said oh yeah sunset's looking pretty good this day yep so away we went off to sunset and um Got there and, uh, you know, looked pretty bloody big. And I said, the midget, shit, how big is this midget? And he said, oh, about 15 foot. <laughs> so in there we, we paddled out and I, I literally spent an hour just clawing my way over these monsters. And as you probably know, over there, Hawaii, uh, the swell can build very, very quickly in the space of an hour can sort of jump up a metre or more, you know, a couple of metres. So anyhow, well, I spent an hour just clawing my way over these bloody mountains and... Um, Got out the back there and I was sitting there and by, by this time I started closing out right across the bay and uh, midget and few of the, there was only like about maybe six or more of us out in the water and uh, you know, the smart guys including midget sort of paddled in because it was closing out right across the bay. Yep. And uh, so I was sitting out the bloody back there and bearing in mind back then no leg ropes or anything. And uh, I said this said this guy sitting next to me Christ how, how bloody big is this mate. He said, man, it's 23 feet. 23? <laughs> 23 feet. Oh, that's pretty know? precise. I said, I said, shit, I believe it. <laughs> and the next thing is bloody giant thing bloody broke out in front of us. And um, no, they're, they're gross. We all just threw our boards. 
and went down and stayed down for an eternity and eventually <laughs> popped up and bang the second one, bang the third one. And, yeah, right. And yeah, fortunately, I would have been, I don't know, about age 30 or something then and I was pretty fit. Yep. And um, so I managed to eventually get in the shore. Unfortunately, Mitchell wised me up before and said, look, if you get wiped out at sunset, make sure you stay in the white water, otherwise you go in the rip and finish up you know, a couple of miles up. And get sucked back out to sea, yeah. And that's, in fact, what happened to my board. I managed to get in and collapsed on the shore and the guy came over and tapped me on the shoulder and he said, oh, look, uh, your board came in and went straight out again in the rip and the um, uh, guy's gone out to paddle, paddle for it, Butch Van Darsen, who's a famous uh, wow. big, big road driver. Yeah. He said, you better go out and help him because he won't be able to paddle your board and his board against the rips. So I was buggered as I was. I had to jump in and swam all the way Oh, up. really? Body miles out the, in the middle of the ocean and uh, grabbed my board and paddled, paddled back in. Wow. And in the process, the other three guys that were out there with us, uh, they all, you know, got, got bombed out and uh, they got caught in the rip and they finished up about two miles out in the middle of the ocean and so they called like, helicopters in and uh, <laughs> helicopters came and pl- plucked them out. <laughs> and But you got back in, all right, okay. Yeah, I got back in. But that, that was my introduction to Sunset. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> Mate, and no leg rope factor as well, and no. yeah, it's just that's insane. Wow! And um, mate, did you surf other spots in in Hawaii? Did you? There's a whole bunch of different spots. Did you ever yeah, take on Hawaii? Haleiwa and uh, yep. Popakea or Linukea and a few other spots. You know, yeah. Did you ever get, didn't go get the pipeline? I, no. I probably couldn't have handled the pipeline anyhow. But yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it was great. I, yeah, and there's no no question now. To, to me, it's still still a mecca of surf. Yeah. In the world, and uh, yeah, I reckon, I reckon a, I reckon a sort of eight to ten foot wave at sunset is probably equivalent to you know twelve, twelve foot plus Margaret's. You know, yeah, there's right. a lot of similarities between sunset and Margaret. Oh yeah, yeah. But even more power yeah. again, you reckon? Yep. Yeah, right. But, but a lot of similarities. Yeah, cool. Oh yeah, I'd love to surf sunset. I I've yeah, been sure. there, but. Uh, It'd be a great wave. Um, so, yeah, a couple of good trips to Hawaii. Any other crazy Hawaiian stories of back in the day? No run-ins with the locals or anything like that? Sounds no, like no, you no, were pretty friendly Hawaii, with them. but uh, had, had a bit of a uh, episode at uh, Mauritius. Um, went there one fun year. And, uh, in fact, I was about 70, I think, when I went there. And um, and uh, can't remember the name of the, uh, the break now. The world-known nine break and uh, it's a little bit like sort of north north point yeah right got there this day and the name will probably come to me got there this day and it was a yeah, really nice clean sort of four five foot plus you know so i paddled out and there were two two groups you know groups sitting out the back and another one sitting sort of inside a bit so i went out the back and sort of just watched what was going on for a little while and um said okay next way is mine so the wave came and i'd Started paddling like buggy and just about to jump to my feet and uh, looked over and there's a guy about to take off. So I sort of pulled back and uh, let let him go. And um, the other guys came over and paddled over to me and abused shit out of me for having the nerve to paddle, you know, at the same time as this other guy. Right. And told me to piss off and, you know, go down the line. And uh, so I eventually did go down the line and that was hopeless because the guys out the back were, you know, taking every, every, every wave. Yep. So I bugger that on. I'm on the next wave, and the wave came, and the guy took off, and he's way, way, way too deep. No way in the world he's going to make it. Yeah. Uh, so I took off, and uh, sure enough, he he blew it, and uh, closed out on him. And um, so I surfed the wave in and paddled back out, and 
they paddled over to me again and abused shit out of me <laughs> and told me to piss off and everything. Yeah. So I said, well, no, fuck it, I'm coming over here to surf, you know, I'm going to surf. So I stayed, hung around for another half an hour more, had a few waves and I was oh, just, just not enjoying this and um, paddled yeah. in. And, and uh, all the guys out there were young guys, probably eight, between 18, 25, yeah. Right. 30, 30 max sort of thing and uh, paddled in and one guy. How old were you at the time? 70. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I paddled in and this guy came in. He was the uh, oldest of the group. He was, would have been probably 40, 45 or something. Right. Came up to me and he said, oh, geez, you're bloody lucky, mate. And I said, oh, yeah, why is that? And he said, well, normally they'd have paddled in and belt shit out of you, but I talked them out of it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> said, oh, thanks very much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah right. so that wasn't not a very nice experience, but yeah, they had uh, great trips to places like uh, Fiji with uh, Tavaru and um, yep. uh, you know, Cloud Break and restaurant. Cloud Break is a classic wave. Yeah. Been there a couple of times, surfed there, and uh, uh, J Bay, South Africa. The time I was there was the week leading up to the, uh, the, the pro. Oh, okay. And so all the pros were out in the water, you know, sort of the week leading up, and um, you think, God, you, you'd never catch a bloody wave, but they were great to surf with. You know? Yeah, this one's yours, mate. And so, yeah, right. So, yeah, that, that was a nice experience. So and, did, um, did you pig dog your way through a couple of pits out at Cloud Break, or how did you go? Oh, Cloud Break, I had, had great, great waves there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm, I was really impressed with that place, yeah. Yeah, right. And, uh, mate, you've been at J-Bay as well. How yeah, did you go out there? I just mentioned, yeah. Yeah, you've... Um, yeah, mate, I've been to J-Bay once. And, of course, Indo many, many, many times. And yep. uh, when I first started going up to, to Indo, Bali, um, uh, Uluwatu, uh, the first experience there was an interesting one as well. That was probably, I don't know, very early 70s or something. Yep. And the hard, again, there's hardly any surfers in, in Bali back then. And yep. uh, when I went to Uluwatu, and you had to walk about two k's through the, the rice paddies to the fields you know, to, to get there. The board, board under your arm sort of thing and um, got there and there's about three other surfers there and they were all Americans. Yeah. They were the only other surfers there and uh, it was you know, a pretty, pretty solid day and uh, so I said to Scott, you know, how do you get out here? Follow me. So uh, into the cave and as you've been there, um, yep. there's no ladders or anything. You just climb down the bloody <laughs> cave <laughs> and uh, this particular time it was sort of medium to high tide. Yep. So he jumps on his board and starts paddling out and I jumped on mine and started paddling out after him and next thing I hear this almighty bloody scream, I was shit, what's that? And uh, he looked, looked around and his face was white as a ghost and a sea snake had dropped from the top of the cave down on the nose of his board. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was my introduction to, to Ulu's. Yeah, right. Oh, mate. Yeah, well, it's pretty easy getting down now. I think it's concrete yeah. steps going down through that cave, but I can imagine trying to... Uh, climb down there on a high tide would have been pretty intimidating for sure especially if the sea snakes are dropping (laughs) off the ceiling (laughs) and and they were literally um, back then I mean all the locals reckon were crazy you know they said oh there's sea snakes everywhere and and back then I can vividly remember sitting in the water and every now and then you see this little bloody head pop up with eyes looking at you. Really? There's bloody sea snakes everywhere. Wow. wonder what happened to them all. Probably ate them surely. Yeah, but they were very prevalent back then. Yeah, yeah right. And, uh, mate, um, any crazy stories about Indo? Any um, mishaps or run-ins with uh, anybody? Or? Yeah, look, there was, there was one occasion of surfing earlier and uh, that particular trip, uh, I went up with a couple of surfing mates. Margaret didn't go and um, 
Yeah, we've been surfing earlier and uh, time to come home. Of course, we all had a motorbike each with a board under our arms and uh, board shorts, thongs, and that was about it. And we are coming, uh, roaring home. I was sort of leading the, the other two or three guys and uh, coming down um, the hill there near, near, near sort of airport. Fairly steep hill and curves in the road and went around the bend and sure enough, the truck had been there before me and dropped all loose blue metal. So the front wheel of the bike hit the blue metal and went from the arse over. I went oh, and uh, skidded along the road all on my right-hand side and took skin off everywhere, including the side of my face. So Oof. the guys sort of um, picked me up and um, put me in a BMO and took me to Dempasar Hospital, which wasn't very flash. What year are we talking here, roughly? Oh, this would have been probably uh, 74, 75, Oof. something like that. Yeah, not a hospital you want to be yeah, in in 74. Not a very, not a very good hospital. It's not the best now, but still, <laughs> 74 would have been a lot rougher. No, it wasn't very good. So anyhow, I'd go in the bloody hospital and... Um, they literally got out a scrubbing brush and raw alcohol and Ooh. scrubbed me down all my right hand side trying to get all the blue metal out. Did they give you a swig of the alcohol first? No. No, oh, that's I'm rough. Like I've, over the years, I've you know, had a bit of bit of pain here and there, but oh, nothing like this. It's just wow. uh, oh, pain like you wouldn't believe. That sounds horrible. And I took a big sort of slice out of my, my cheek and my face, and so they got this old bit of white cloth and had all dried blood all over it and <laughs> a hole in the middle of it and put that on my face and stitched me up without any anaesthetic or anything. Oh, mate. Fortunately, just... it was my sort of second last day. So the next day, I jumped on a plane, came home, went, saw the local doc and he gave me a big tetanus needle up the bum and, yeah. uh, and that was it. So, uh, wow. Yeah, that wasn't a very nice experience. No, that's, uh, that's definitely a... Pretty standard story uh, these days, motorbike crashes. Yeah. A lot of people do it, but, geez, you just, you know, 74, uh, you're lucky to get out of that one, really. Um, I mean, even this day and age, people, buddy, don't come out of them, so yeah, you did ones. well to get out of there. Um, mates, uh, I've, I've had you here for a fair while, uh, but as I said, you, you do have a lot of stories. You've been around a long time. Um We've been done, covered a bit of traveling and stuff there. So, mate, let's just uh, a few standard questions there um, that I usually ask crew. Um, mate, give, just give us one or two of your your best ever surf sessions. That just I know it's always hard. I, I sort of got about ten or twenty that I'd, I'd probably name, but just one or two that really jump off the page at you is to, that really stick in the memory banks. Yeah, good, good questions. There's been, been many, uh, many good sessions, and uh, certainly Margaret's uh, is, is one. But uh, yeah, Cloudbreak is is one that sort of come comes to the fore. I remember you know, surfing there on the Tarbaru trips uh, when it was you know, pretty solid, and uh, I remember um, <coughs> you know, getting a couple of you know, really good like big barrels there. And I remember one day uh, there at the Tarbaru Cloudbreak and. Um, it was pretty solid, and uh, the two guys that used because back then two guys used to um, uh, run the the island where where you stayed. Yep. And um, and they were both from uh, from Hawaii, two Americans uh, living in Hawaii. Yep. And one of the guys uh, took I, I had taken away and I was on my way paddling back out, and this guy, one of the owners of the the, the island, uh, took off on this bloody wave and. Uh, of biggest barrel I've ever seen in my life, and you know, really? he just about drove the bloody truck through it. It was that big, you know. And he was standing there, you know, the classic, you know, hands behind his back, you know, standing upright, soul arching through gigantic it, gigantic bloody barrel, you know. 
So yeah, that was sort of one one session I, I can remember vividly. Yep. And uh, I, I guess you know there's been many occasions at, uh, at at Margaret's where there's just been those classic glassy days, you know, when um, just 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 no no wind and you know, just a beautiful six to eight foot and um, yeah, that's the best yeah, size there, mid, isn't yeah, it? Mid, six to eight, mid mid sort of tide and uh, yeah, just uh, blows your mind, you know, just how, how good and. Um, even today, you know, I drive down to markets and I, uh, a bit like going up there, and drive down to markets and drive around and you drive there and you see this corduroy of uh, lines in the ocean. You think, oh, Christ, this is bloody paradise. You know? Yeah, yeah, awesome. And, um, the love affair still runs strong, yeah. doesn't it? So, yeah, pro- probably my, my best days are like to have a really nice day like a market like that and I'll jump in my truck and I'll drive home and I'll put a, a jazz CD on and you know, come home and <laughs> <laughs> classic. This is bloody paradise. Yeah, oh, mate, sounds like a good life to me, that's for sure. And um, mate, what about uh, some of your favourite surfers over the years to watch? Can you just give us uh, just give us a couple that uh, from any era? Uh, yeah, well, uh, one of one of course is uh, Kanga uh, in Cairns and. Oh, yeah. uh, yeah, uh, Cairns is probably the gutsiest surfer I've ever come across, I think. Yep. Like I can remember uh, one stage uh, back in, um, I don't know, when it was probably mid-70s or something like that, and um, at uh, Cal- Calbarry yep. on a big big day at Jake's, and uh, I remember Kanga out there, uh, um, you know, literally just um, like a half a paddle taking off sort of inside the radio you know, on big, big, big jakes. You know. Yeah, right. And that was the first time I've ever seen someone, you know, do that. Right. Because now all the pros do it, you know, a couple of paddles and they're taking yeah. off, you know, sort of inside the wave. Dropping into the barrel, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, Kangas, you know, sort of comes to mind. But uh, another guy, Tony Hardy, of course, we've probably seen in the paper just uh, recently. Yeah, that's know. unfortunate, yeah. Yeah, very, very unfortunate. But uh, yeah, some of those early days at Margaret's, uh, you know, Tony Hardy, uh, I still believe that he is, one of the best surfers that ever surfed, Margaret. Margaret River Main Break, yeah. Yeah, Main Break. He, he could find a barrel, you know, when there was no barrels there. So <laughs> yeah. he, he was an amazing surfer. And even guys like, uh, yeah, Mitch. Mitch. Um, Thorson. I mean, uh, Mick, Mick McAuliffe and yep. guys like that. Yeah. But uh, then, then, of course, you, you see, you see the, the more later group with the guys like, uh, you know, Targe and uh, the Pattersons, etc. you know. Yeah, yeah. Just so many, so many good surfers. So many. No, that's all right. You gave us a couple there from a, a you know, slightly different era, which is good. And, um, mate, through the whole progression of, of surfboards and all the different eras and different boards, did you just go with the change the whole way through from the Mal to the cut-down Mal's and then to, you know... The twins and the singles, and the, did you did you go with the times, or did you ever get stuck on a certain type of board? Or <clears throat> no, no, pretty, pretty well went with the times, and um, yeah, when when they got short, 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 uh, yeah, probably the shortest board I rode for a couple of years was was about six foot, and that, yep. that was a t- Tony Hardy board actually. Oh, okay, yep. And I rode his boards for a, for a few years, and uh, probably the last fifteen years or more, I've been riding Del- Delta uh, Martin yep. Littlewood's uh, boards, and. Uh, yeah, they're good solid boards and um, certainly uh, can, can handle uh, Margaret. Yeah, cool. All right. And, uh, mate, so yep, you're on the thrusters. Did you ever keep any of your single fins or anything? Or you'd always no, just, look, um, I, I wish I did, but, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not a great one for nostalgia and no. uh, yeah, probably a lot of boards I should have kept. 
<laughs> including those hardy boards. But um, and that Pontiac Firebird, I wish you'd kept that too. Richard Farrelly <laughs> boards, I should have kept uh, you know, some of them. But uh, yeah, should have yeah, kept I'm... that Pontiac Firebird too, Kev. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, classic. Um, all right, mate. Well, I think we're, we're probably getting to the end. We've we've been going a while. I'm sure there's a lot more stories out there but um just to bang a couple of real quick ones in back to the southwest um mate uh there was a guy called um uh budge or something some uh airplane pilot who used to have an airstrip down moses or something like that um that guy seemed to pop up in a few surf stories what was his deal yeah that was uh oh, i'm trying to his name now um guthrie or something yeah 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 butch Butch, Butch sorry. Guthrie, yeah, sorry, yeah. Butch Guthrie. Yeah, that, that, that was uh, pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, Butch Guthrie was a local farmer. Uh, turn off to um, uh, to to Moses Rock. Uh, he used to have that property on the left hand side there. He used to have an airstrip, and he was a farmer, and he uh, used to have this little light aircraft. And uh, yeah, so many times out yelling up, uh, you'd be sitting out the back and. Uh, you hear this noise and uh, the cry would yell out, look out, here comes Butch. <laughs> so Butch would come on this little bloody light uh, you know, fixed-wing aircraft and he would literally swoop down on us and uh, you know, no more than about bloody 10 foot from the from the surface. No way, 10 foot. And, yeah, like, like very, very, very close and uh, we would shit ourselves and jump off our boards and dive, <laughs> dive under. No way. <laughs> come, back, come back up and put to do a circle and come back for the second swoop. Dive bomb you again. Must yeah. have been coming in close if you got oh. so scared you had to jump off your surfboards. Yeah, bloody amazing, I tell you. And uh, the same guy who used to drink at the coast house on a Friday night and he had this steel, uh, <coughs> steel stool. Yep. It was, it was his in the corner of the public bar and uh, he used to weigh a bloody ton. So he used to challenge anyone to pick up this uh, this uh, stool one-handed right. know, for, for money right and of course we'd all try and no way in the bloody world uh butcher just grab it one arm boom. right <laughs> I mean, he, was, he was strong as he was a beast but yeah. there were a lot of characters like butch you know down here some of the locals there yeah just uh running by their own rules back then bit of cowboy action yep. and uh mate also just tell me about um you used to collect driftwood at some stage after a few surfs. What did you used to do that for? Well, that, that used to be the gallows when we used to surf gallows on the way back. As I mentioned, we used to bloody walk all the way, Kays Road, and on the way back we used to collect driftwood. And uh, there used to be uh, tea rooms on the corner of Smith Beach Road and Kays Road, which is now lavender tea rooms. Yeah, it used to be the Crayfish Inn. And, and uh, the yeah. Hunt family used to own it then, and they used to do Devonshire teas. Right. And so we used to collect this driftwood, and driftwood was sort of in fashion back then for, um, you know, sort of floral displays and stuff. Okay. So we used to trade this driftwood that we used to collect on the way back from Gallows for, for Devonshire teas. So you used to... <laughs> lug wood all the way you had a nine foot six board on your head you had about a 3k walk through the bush and you'd still pick up driftwood just for a cup of tea that's it oh scones of course scones oh scones don't forget the scones uh sounds reasonable to me mate um i would love to ask you a bunch more questions about the, the early days they fascinate me as a surfer who's a good couple of generations apart i mean i love this area i love surfing and 
you know, yeah, I just love to sit and wonder what it was like back in the day. But we've been going a long time uh, and I don't want to get you any more drunk on my uh, stiff beers here. So we'll wrap it up for now, mate. Thanks so much, Kev, for coming in. Um, it's been awesome to jump back in time and listen to your story you're definitely one of the original surfers of Western Australia, one of the original surfers of Yelling Up in particular. Um, it's been great to have you on, mate, and uh, I hope you're out there providing inspiration for many more years, getting your ass licked out at Main, Margaret River Mainbreak for another decade at least, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big ask, but, uh, yeah, look, it's been a pleasure, Rats, and, uh, yeah, look, I just take uh, each day by, by day by day and... Uh, yeah, hopefully, um, yeah, fingers crossed, if I look after my body, and I do try and look after my body, uh, I can still keep going for a little bit longer yet. Yeah, no worries. Awesome. All right, well, you've been listening to Barreled Surf Podcast with a very special episode uh, with Kevin Merrifield. Thanks for having me over, Kev. Uh, let's sign off for now. Cheers. See you, mate. Bye.